Hi everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platy M3. Yangus. Platy. Yangus. Platy. Yangus. Platy. <sighs> Yangus. Mm, Platy. Yangus, Yangus. Platy. Yangus. Yangus, Yangus. Platy, Platy. Yangus? Platy. <laughs> Yangus, Yangus. Yangus, Yangus. Platy. <laughs> oh man Jeez. <laughs> oh boy that, that was kind of ridiculous i mean right there is why i'm gonna have to click the explicit button when i upload this podcast oh definitely when you, i mean when you said platy i almost lost it like man i can't believe you went there well, uh, you Yangusing in reply did not help the matter in the least. I mean, I was almost choking here, biting my tongue, trying not to interrupt you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, uh, with that over, and with now you all remembering what our names are, uh, with let, uh, let's get uh, tonight's main, or, well, I guess the side event going. Uh, tonight on SideQuest, we're going to be talking about a whole slew of Pokemon games that are not the mainline games. So uh, basically, you're saying in honor of upcoming Thanksgiving, we're going to ignore the turkey and focus on the side dishes? Yangus, Yangus. <clears throat> I mean, exactly. And uh, you uh, and who better to talk about Pokemon side entries than a couple of our returning side quest guests? Uh, please welcome back Evan, a.k.a. Eel. E-A-L. 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 Excuse me. <laughs> and welcome back to Blue Star. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take the laughing as thanks. <laughs> it's all the reply we needed. Yep. <laughs> at least you made one person laugh. laughing at me, yes. not with you. That's true. That, that's okay. We'll take it. We'll take it. In our head, it's good enough. The, the middle part of the Platy and the Yangus conversations really got to her. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep, see, she agrees. It's all good. I had to mute my microphone, man. So. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I can't even begin to count how many games we're going to talk about here tonight, or even the number of different types of games we're going to talk about. But um, you know we put a ton of thought into the order that we're going in this, so it was carefully discussed, voted on, straws were done, you know. And I don't remember that part. Did you do that without me? Uh, it was in some chat. Or... <laughs> what chat? Not chat I was in. <laughs> the super secret chat. You had to know the password. I might have just been chatting in my head, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that happens a lot too. I mean, uh, Platy Yangus. <laughs> so we're gonna start here. Um, I was gonna say with one of the weirder entries, but you know what the heck? These all kind of get a little bit weird in some regard. Uh, but this was definitely something different than a lot of other games in the Pokemon franchise. We're gonna start talking about the Pokemon Ranger games, um, and well, there were three of them out there. And honestly, up until about six months ago, I didn't even know there was a third one. Quickly picked that up. But um, we'll start, we'll go in order at least with these. Uh, the first one, first Pokemon Ranger, was released uh, March 23rd, 2006 for the DS. Um, and all I remember clearly about this um, is about two things. One, I thought my hand was going to fall off like the entire time. <laughs> this is a. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how else to say it, but like muscularly involved with like my whole hand was like in a claw gripping the uh, stylus. 
because the whole point of this game is you're not a Pokemon trainer. Uh, you don't catch them and raise them and breed them and whatever. You're a Pokemon Ranger, and Rangers collect the Pokemon to help other Pokemon, but it's a very temporary bond. They're not like joining you forever. Um, and to catch the Pokemon in these games, you have to draw circles around them. On the lower of the DS screens, on the touchscreen, the Pokemon's running around, and you're... I, I don't know how it's... Maybe one of you guys will be able to remember better than me how it's, like, talked about in the game, but you're drawing circles around them to, like, calm them down, to tame them for a certain amount of time. And uh, we were talking beforehand, and this first one, it, each different Pokemon had a certain number of times that you had to circle it as they're moving around, as they're trying to attack it, as things are flying out of the sky. Um... This first game, you had to continually circle the Pokemon, one continuous motion. You couldn't lift up the stylus or your number reset, and you had to try again. You but, also couldn't uh, take any damage or your counter reset. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of other things that are served to make this game much harder than it probably <laughs> needed to be. I was going to say, it sounds like it's kind of throw some curveball difficulty things at you for being a Pokemon game of all things. Oh, absolutely. I actually never beat this game because of how hard the mechanics were. Um, so I've, I, I, I tried to play it several times, and I'd always get to the exact same place where you have to capture a Salamence by drawing like 36 or something consecutive loops around him while he takes up half the screen and he's calling Meteors down on the screen and you can't touch any of the Meteors, you can't touch the Salamence, you can't touch anything and you have to do it 36 times. Oh my. At the same time, I wasn't allowed to leave that dungeon, so I was just going sort of stuck there and all I could do was go challenge this Salamence and throw myself at this brick wall over and over and over again. Mm. One time I did actually beat him. But so then, do you like, get like... 20, oh, sorry, go ahead. But then like 20 minutes later, I got stuck on the next boss. So. Oh. <laughs> and I, I think say, that's as far as I got. Is this a game like where the Pokemon that you have with you help you? Or like, is it just yes. like you yourself doing everything? Yeah, so, so uh, Platy was talking earlier about, you know, how the drawing circles around Pokemon actually works in the game. Um, it's... It, it's kind of like, I, I want to say, like a Harry Potter magic wand type thing where, you know, you're sort of standing off to the side and, like, you know, doing some voodoo magic to try to calm these Pokemon down. Mm -hmm. um, the Pokemon that you have already befriended, each one has some sort of, you know, battle support move and some others have a uh, field support move. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can catch a Lapras and use it to ride across some water. Um, okay. You find some electric type Pokemon that might, you know, stun whatever you're trying to capture for a little while. Um, but once you use that Pokemon's ability, they then go back to being a wild Pokemon and you no longer have their support anymore. Okay. All right. I was never yeah, sure get... with these games if it was um like you caught them for yourself, not like, you know, like a regular trainer would, but like you were able to recruit them as it were, just out of like goodwill from them helping you or you helping them or something like that. It was all very temporary. Like, okay. there might be some tall grass blocking your way to the next screen, and you'd have to make sure you got yourself a fire Pokemon, maybe, somewhere that could, and you'd use, like, a field support move that would burn the grass down, or stuff like that. Okay. And it was, or, it was know, tiered, too, really so you needed... Mm -hmm. Cut down the really You needed a... You could clearly step You needed a proportionally strong... Uh, you needed a proportionally strong Pokemon... Say you say you need like one with like I don't know one star can break a tiny rock 
mm-hmm. and then you need two stars to break a bigger rock, and then three stars. So it, it was tiered like that, and like Golem could break this giant rock, a Geodude could break the small rock, and there would be obstacles in you know in the map, and you'd have to recruit them um, somewhere else. Sometimes completely different map, have to go off and find them, and then bring them back here, break this thing blocking your way, and then they would just leave. So you couldn't uh... even use them in battle. Okay, gotcha. I mean, it was a lot of uh, kind of like um, rocket slime, where you'd have to make sure you got the right ingredient to throw into the right thing to get to the other side of the map, or you know, you had to pick up that little slime knight guy on you sometimes to definitely get past somebody. Yes. So, okay, that is that's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, I actually did beat this game, and I remember very specifically. I mean, there's a weird thing to remember, um, but I was playing during it was. Um, almost the end of the year that year it came out in 2006 I was watching like college football games end of the season and I beat it the night that Saddam Hussein was killed (laughs) of all things it was like one of the is one of those things that was on late night after a bowl game they're like oh breaking news from Iraq tonight uh we're getting footage of Saddam Hussein being hung there I am like circling freaking Pokemon And I'm like, yep, this is my, this is what I'm doing for the world tonight. They ever ask you where you were uh, when Saddam Hussein died? You can say playing Pokemon Ranger. Hey, Pokemon <laughs> Ranger. Yep. I was it, playing it's... Pokemon Ranger in my house, <laughs> and I saw I mean, on the TV he got hung. I mean, there, there's about <laughs> there's about three or four gaming memories I have of like exact moments when things happened. Um, and yeah, this is one. Another one is I beat Dragon Quest V for the first time, and I remember my girlfriend coming in and trying to tell me Colombia had exploded, and I was like, what? The country of Colombia has... How did the whole country explode? And she's like, no, the space shuttle. I was like, oh. So yeah, that Saturday morning in early 2000s when it blew up over Texas, like, I, I was fighting Mortimer right at that moment. Mortimer was Dragon Quest Six. Yeah, that's Dragon Quest Six. <laughs> yep, that's right. Yep, nope. It was five, though. <laughs> Stupid. Well, the good Having thing a is, point. for as much as Platy doesn't like Dragon Quest Six, at least he remembers the final boss. <laughs> <laughs> and as it much as I love Dragon yeah. Quest Five, I know how to nail that one. But... Yeah. I mean, it does go to, sh- go to show how memorable Ninzo is as a boss. Yeah. yeah. So, so memorable, the movie cut him out. <laughs> <laughs> the film adaptation. Yep. Uh, but this was not the only Pokemon Ranger game. Oh, no. Uh, they went back to this uh, formula and at least improved some stuff. The second Pokemon Ranger game was called Shadows of Almia, and it had it released a couple years after the first. And ooh, you know what I was just thinking of? Was the first game the one that you could get the egg that then you could transfer to, like, Diamond or Pearl? Manaphy, yep. Yes, yep. I believe so. Yeah, I was going to ask which one of these games had that, because I remember that being a big thing back when um, Diamond and Pearl were coming out, because I remember Nintendo Power, like, specifically pointed out, like, hey, you need this particular Pokemon Ranger game so you can have a chance to get the legendary Pokemon Manaphy or something like that. Yep. You know, back in the age before DLC, <laughs> they had a way to get another $40 out of you. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all three of them had um, legendaries you can transfer over. I think okay. one of them did, had Darkrai, I think. Oh, I don't remember that. I, don't hey, don't ask me. Well, I, I never played any of these games. Great so. for them the first time. <laughs> Pokemon's not really my jam, so I, I don't really know. So 
<laughs> Welcome to Yangus on uh, our next Pokemon cast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> as, as the listeners at home will realize, I'm not really going to be familiar with a lot of these side quests or uh, spinoff games, other than a few. <laughs> uh, I'll have to look that up. But uh, yeah, so this came out two years later. Um, and I'll let Blue talk more about the quality of life improvements that this game had. Well, for one, I could actually beat this game, so that was great. Um, <laughs> they they changed the mechanics so that instead of having to get you know X number of loops around a Pokemon, you had to you know fill up a friendship bar, um, and every time you loop around the Pokemon, it would uh, it would fill up that bar a little bit, and that actually would go up depending on how high level your Pokemon Ranger device, which is called a Styler was um so you know going back and finding you know weaker pokemon later you could get them up in one uh one just one loop instead of having to go around a bunch of times which was very nice and it made the game much more enjoyable and much more uh beatable so uh yeah i liked this game a lot i remember the story was amazing um and you know even going on into the third one guardian signs i don't know that there was even a whole lot that was changed between the two of them because they sort of nailed down what their what they wanted their formula to be at that point yeah and geez i'd never even so of course looking at my own personal defeated list i didn't beat this one i know i had it um but this is one i've not i did not finish I think it was one that, you know, the gimmick mechanic of circling, 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 even though it was easier, I do remember crapping out on this one thinking like, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> Draw circles. <laughs> and I mean, I've I've never been the hugest of Pokemon fans. I'll play all the mainline games, but I'm not one to fill up my uh, Pokedex. It's like once I roll credits, post-game, battle arena, all that crap, like, nope, I'm done. You know, I, I put in my 20, 30 hours. I'm like, great, I beat it. I had fun. I'll play another game in two years when another one comes out. But I did not finish this one. But about a year ago, uh, another podcast that I was on was going to do um, a couple different Pokemon side entries. And somebody mentioned, like, the three Ranger games. I'm like, what? There were three? So I quickly grabbed the last one. And it reminded me a lot of the second one. Yeah. Like, I don't remember it. Nothing in that game seemed new to me, like you said, gameplay wise. So I guess the one thing that was new in Guardian Signs is that they had Guardian Signs that you could draw on the touch screen in order to summon legendary Pokemon. So uh, I think the three main ones from that game were uh, Wikun, Entei, and Raikou. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Entei could smash rocks, Raikou could jump over large distances and Suicune could run on water um, and so rather than actually having to capture them in order for the single use of their power you could just use the sign to call them and so that was kind of a cool hey this legendary Pokemon is my friend type of uh, mechanic but that was really the only thing that stuck out to me as different in that third game. Mm-hmm. I remember a little bit of the story of this one there was time travel in this one um, oh, I maybe was, I don't remember much about this. Uh, <laughs> it, it took place, you were on like islands and you were trying to like first calm down the Pikachu or whatever on one island and 
then you were going to another island and there were like ancient ruins there and at some point you stood on something and it like do 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 like travel door and dragon quest or something like that and then you were standing in the same place but there was a temple all around you and it was like whoa and i only made it like five or six hours through but at one point you you learn like you're traveling back and forth in time like 500 years on the island like going back to when everything was there whereas so it's the... dragon quest 7 essentially uh, yeah <laughs> quantum leap trying to put right what once went wrong <laughs> but yeah it it, uh, it had all the same mechanics with you know you needed the stronger poke uh, the stronger pokemon to big beat the bigger rock or there was a bigger fire raging blocking your way of going up the tower so you needed a second level water pokemon to put out the bigger fire um and it's so these games were funny because the pokemon were always just hopping along next to you as you're walking around once you circled a certain it once you captured it they'd just be happily bopping along next to you walking around and you'd only have a something like five or six that you could take with you at any one time yeah it was actually funny because i booted up my uh game complete save in shadows of almia the other day and Literally, I had all three Reggies following me, plus a couple of TV solutions. <laughs> so that was pretty fun to walk around. To walk I mean, around yeah, that'd be pretty fun walking with around with the three Reggies. Giant <laughs> golems following me. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, this is actually a game I, I, I do want to get back to. There, there's very few... Uh, was this on the 3DS? I think it was. 2010? No, maybe not then. No, 2011 yeah, was when the 3DS came out. Yeah, I think they were all three vanilla DS. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, and I remember buying this, like I said, about a year ago, and then I couldn't find it a few months ago and realized that my 3DS holder had a little thing in the back of it that holds a couple games in there. I was like, oh, look, look what I found. There it is. But uh, this game actually might be the one that's in my 3DS right now. So I gave it five hours over a couple nights like, hey, this is pretty good. And then the podcast happened and I went right back to other things I was playing, but they're fun games. I mean, they're a lot of dexterity is needed. I always thought I was going to crack my DS screen or my 3DS screen, but those things proved a lot tougher. Then they don't make things like they used to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd want to be doing this with a stylus on your Switch screen. That would make me a lot more nervous. Yikes! So uh, you'll probably never see another Pokemon Ranger game like that. The fact that they kind of abandoned it for 3DS times, uh, and it's been 10 years, that be, may be done. Although, we're going to talk about other side entries here that are back after much longer breaks. Okay, but at the same time, I feel <laughs> I feel like they might have missed an opportunity with being able to do it with a Wiimote. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Hell yeah. You'd get some good arm, arm movements in there. Spin your arm 900 times. <laughs> Just do some windmills to capture that... some Pokemon. <laughs> I mean, you could go right back to it now with the uh, Switch remotes. <laughs> Wait, you, you know, you probably could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say, you can get them on the Wii U, so. These games? Yes. Virtual console. They have one on the Wii U. Mm-hmm. So oh, do you yeah, draw on the, the uh, on the big controller? Do you draw on that? The game pad, I yeah. don't think you. Yeah, you, I don't think you can project them on the TV or anything. But you, I think you play it on the uh, game pad. Well, the game pad would be like the bottom screen. The TV would be the top screen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, but the Wii U is dead, so we don't talk about that. <laughs> Actually, we just talked about that earlier today. We did. <laughs> you you hey, can play I a lot of these games on the Wii U. It was. It was a great virtual console machine. 
It is. I love it. I love my Wii U. To this day, I think I've played a Wii U like five minutes. I did one Mario Kart race on it at my brother-in-law's house at one point, and I thought, ooh, this is fun. Maybe I should get one. And... That thought is six or seven years old at this point. Okay, but the the default game that came with the Wii U, Nintendo Land, is actually a great party game. Yeah, it has nothing to do that with no one ever. But that was actually a good party game because I had gotten the Wii U, and I'm really still surprised about this years later. I had gotten that as a surprise Christmas gift the year that it came out, and I invited some of my buddies over because they were back from college, and we ended up playing Nintendo Land, I think, for like five hours straight because we were just playing all the different games, and we had a good time with it. Like, the Wii U did have some pretty good games on it, but... <laughs> There's some questionable yeah, decisions the there. <laughs> yep. Well, I think the biggest sh- shot in the foot was calling it the Wii U. They really should have called it something else. They really should. Because <laughs> it messed up marketing. So everybody's like, oh, it's just a peripheral for your Wii. Why do I got to buy a whole new console? Apparently, everybody sounds like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, anyway, we should probably keep moving along the list. We've got quite a few games to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. So the next uh, sub-side series, I don't know how many prefixes I want to add there, um, I would say is definitely the biggest. Um, it's had the most. It's actually had one of them even remade in the past year. Um, and that's the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games. Um, kind of just like Ranger, which came out in March of 20... 2006. Uh, these games came out uh, in 2006, too. Uh, a little bit later in the year, I uh, actually looked this up because this is another one of those very specific gaming memories I have. Uh, they came out either the day before or the day after Rocket Slime did. I think it's probably the only time in my life I went to GameStop on two consecutive days. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the very first one, the first Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, had uh, two versions. It had actually had a Game Boy Advance version. And it had a DS version um, that played pretty much the same way. Yep. And they, I mean, if you've played a Mystery Dungeon game, the gameplay mechanics are pretty much the same. You, you go into a dungeon, you take one step, the enemies take one step, there's crap laying all on the ground, um, you can do regular attacks, your Pokemon can it, do special attacks like Thunderbolt and whatever. Um, the interesting part about this one is you are a Pokemon. Uh, isn't it that you've turned into a Pokemon in the first game? Yeah. Yes. Turned yep. into in, all of, in all of the games, it's that you've turned oh. into a Pokemon. Okay, I knew you always controlled a Pokemon. I didn't know that you were always, like, supposedly turned into one. Yeah, so a, how, how, a, how the of... first game starts up is uh, you have to do a little questionnaire, and mm-hmm. then depending on how you, uh, whatever your answers were, the game will be like, oh, so you're like this type of person. You have this and this such trait. Your best fit for a Pokemon is going to be, and you, like, you might get Pikachu or in like the first game's case, in the first Mystery Dungeon's case, it was the first three generations of Pokemon. So you got like Pikachu, one of the other like starter Pokemon from the first three generations, and then a few uh, miscellaneous ones like uh, Machop, or is that what that one's called? Machop? Machop. Uh, yeah. Okay, thank you. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm good with Pokemon names. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like you have stuff like like a few oddball ones too, like Skitty, Meow, and probably the best choice of all you could have ended up with, Psyduck, which is what I got when I played Blue <laughs> Blue Rescue Team back in the day. Hey, Eevee was a pretty good choice too. I mean it's not Psyduck, so I mean, you know. 
Okay, when I played as easy, it was a great game all the way up till the point where I got really impatient about wanting to evolve, and then I evolved myself into a Flareon and regretted it for the rest of my life. So. <laughs> <laughs> I regret everything. You just look in the pool of water there, it's like, I regret everything. <laughs> but um, with the first Mystery Dungeon games, like what Platy said, there were uh, the Game Boy Advance version and the DS version. They were just called Red Rescue Team and Blue Rescue Team, respectively. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty much the same games identically. Like, they had the same content and everything. Um, only differences were there were a few Pokemon that were exclusive to each version. But what? You could use, My yeah. God, that's revolutionary. I know, it's crazy. How did they but, think of that? <laughs> but you could, um, you could use passwords to transfer one to the other. So, like... Um, God, I think like one of the examples was like Porygon and Porygon Two were, or is Porygon and one other one? Just for example, were like on the separate versions. But if you used a password, you could get them in the Game Boy Advance version or the DS version. It's kind of like if you guys have ever played um, the Zelda Oracle games on the Game Boy Color. It's that same sort of concept where you can type in the password from the one game, put it into the other game, and boom, there you go. You get the reward for it. Was there something that you could do by putting, um, you know, with the original DSs, you could put the Game Boy Advance card in the slot and then have the DS card in the other slot? Right. Um, I think there was something you could do, but I have no idea at this point. Was it? <laughs> was it rescuing if you got defeated? Yeah. I think I might have been. I might have been trading stuff too. That I think that might have been an alternative way to the password mm-hmm. thing we were talking about. Uh, yeah, I knew there were options with that, but yeah, I only had the the DS one because that was kind of at the point where I really was losing interest in Pokemon. But when I saw this Mystery Dungeon game coming out, I'm like, oh, it looks like a you know an interesting idea for a game where because it's it's sort of like the reason like when I was a kid, I preferred uh, Dragon Quest monsters over Pokemon because I enjoyed you know having all of these monsters like with me and like I got to directly control them all and I felt more like I was playing as them so when I saw the mystery dungeon games had the concept where like oh you're the pokemon now it's like okay cool that's you know I, that's something I can get behind mm-hmm. and and I'd played the uh, Torneco games both on the PS1 and the um the original one on the Super Nintendo fan translated mm. so when I saw this I was like oh I know what these games are yeah, it was, um, what was that? I think what really got me to get this game, too, was, um, I think I've said this on The Den and other places, too, but when my, like, I would say, like, the peak when I really liked Pokemon was when the third generation came out, because as a little kid, that's when, like, everybody would talk about Pokemon when it first came out, like, either the TV show or the games or the trading cards, all that stuff. So when this particular uh, spinoff game came out, the first one, and since I was really into the third generation, I'm just like, okay, you know, it's going to focus on the first three. That's pretty cool. And I think in this game, too, if you do certain reward or like certain quests and stuff like that, you get special statues near your base of like some of the Gen 4 Pokemon. I think it was at that point we were just starting to find out about some of them, like Lucario and Mr. Mime Jr. And I think Bond's Lie was another one you could get. Yeah, that makes sense, because uh, this was actually the very first handheld game that I ever had, uh, and I remember very soon, like, later that school year, maybe, uh, getting Pokemon Diamond for the first time. Because, you know, up until that point, um, I was a weird kid, and I definitely never wanted to play a video game where I played as a boring human, uh, so mm-hmm. let's play as a Pokemon, because that's way cooler. <laughs> 
you know, I can totally relate to you on that because that's <laughs> pretty much the reason why I didn't play uh, Dragon Warrior 1 through 3 on the Game Boy Color when I was a kid because it's like, why would I want to play as a human guy when I can be this kid controlling and uh, fighting with all these monsters? Why would I want to play as a person? Boy, young me was stupid. <laughs> hey, that makes two of us, I guess. We're part of an, exclu- an exclusive club. <laughs> but um, I had, I don't know why I did this too with a Blue Rescue Team, but back when I was in high school, I for some reason traded in my copy, even though I put like 60, 70 hours into it, like trying to do Whoa. all the dungeons. Yeah, I, I got a lot of time. Oh, there was a lot of extra stuff. Yeah, and that, there's a lot of dungeons and ones you have to... Luckily, that's one of the nice things that they changed with this remake that I'm going to get to, but uh, I traded in my copy. Of course, I felt stupid about it, and it's one of those games where it's like, man, I wish I hadn't gotten rid of that, because it's actually pretty good. But luckily, this year, uh, I believe it was May that the remake came out, which is uh, just called Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX. So it's pretty much a remake of both versions of the game, like all the content and all the exclusive Pokemon and all that stuff that's just all in one big package. You know, it looks really nice on the Switch. It's got a cool, um, almost color book art style to it, I would say, because you notice there's a bit of an effect on, like, the trees and the backgrounds and everything. Um, But what's cool about playing this remake is that I do remember stuff from the original, like with how the storyline stuff kind of gets set up and everything and how... You know, you do the opening questionnaire and all that kind of stuff. But it's cool seeing some of the changes because I remember in the original, like, you were a lot more limited with what you could take into a dungeon, depending on the size of the Pokemon. In this one, it seems like they got rid of the size mechanic, and you can end up with a party of eight Pokemon traveling with you at once in a dungeon if you're able to recruit them. That it's is crazy. so wild to me it's still. crazy! <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, a. Uh, I've just been kind of messing with it this week just to, you know, get to see some of the changes and everything. And I haven't unfortunately gotten too far into the game at this point, but like that's the big one I've seen where you get all these Pokemon. Um, there's I don't remember if this was in the original or not, but there's rare qualities that Pokemon can have when they join you where it's stuff like, oh, if you uh, find a party member who ends up like sent off to another side of a dungeon all by themselves, that they'll get a big boost to their stats until they regroup with the rest of the party. Or you'll have one where if you, like if any of your Pokemon that are with you have a held item, whether it's a uh, ribbon or a berry or something like that, and if somebody uses a move that would knock it out of their hands, uh, it'll affect the whole party. Uh, you don't have to worry about that getting knocked out of their hands. And there's, a, there's other stuff too like that, but basically what you want to kind of look out for when you're recruiting them is like, okay, what sort of rare quality do you bring into the party? And there's some other stuff too that I've seen from footage. Like the big one is that you no longer have to redo any dungeons with legendary Pokemon in the post game. If you can beat the Pokemon at the end of it, it's guaranteed going to join you then with its camp. You don't have to worry about replaying it until, Oh, now it decided to join. So that's a big change for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, this game I remember enjoying quite a bit. Uh, looking back on my completed game list, I knowing that it came out a day removed from uh, Rocket Slime, I beat this an entire month before I beat Rocket Slime. So th- this game won out in my uh, playtime over Rocket Slime, which wow. I absolutely love. So th- this was pretty good. That's sacrilegious. Well, these were for very long games. How could you? They were. You had, I mean, what you used to get little things in the mailbox every day, mm-hmm. requests. And I mean, you could just endlessly do requests from like, hey, I lost my Charmander friend on level seven of this dungeon. 
can you go get him? Yep. And I mean, you could just you could almost not advance the story and just do those requests over and over and over and over. Well, Explorers of Time and Darkness, the sequel, those were like ridiculously long. Like I would I would play them morning, night, morning, noon, night, and it would take me days and days and days and days to play it. And I was like, I'm playing this like all day, and I feel like I'm not even halfway through. And it had like tons, tons of post game content. Like half the game was post game. Like it was it was a very long game. Yeah, as much as, you know, I am partial to Blue Rescue Team because it was my like one of my first games ever, Explorers of Time is actually probably my favorite Pokemon game ever. Um, Best Pokemon story at the very least, I would say. Oh my god, it's amazing. I, I was blown and, away. Blown how, away. How wild that story was. So what was the story? I almost don't want to say because it's not explicitly shown to you at the very beginning. Oh, okay. It's like something um, that kind of evolves later on. Evolves. But I'm done. So yeah, these games, uh, Explorers of Time and Darkness came out um, a couple years later in 2008, still on the DS. And uh, it, I beat the Darkness one. I'll be honest, I have no memory of this one. <laughs> What? Yeah, I, I really don't. Especially because you labeled it as Explorers of Space on our, yep. in our notes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and looking at my completed game list right here, it says uh, Pokemon Mystery space. Dungeon, Explorers of Darkness. So, yep, I can't even remember from looking at my own list what it's called. I did have a really weird experience with this game when I first got it because this was like when I first realized Pokemon as a phenomenon was dead. Like as a thing that like was just sweeping across schools was dead and it was i was with my mother at the opening like when it first came out we were in the parking lot of like a toys r us waiting to go in and there was just like lines of people outside and we were like wow a lot of people lining up for this pokemon game and then we go in once the doors open and everyone's there for the nintendo wii they did restocks the nintendo wii and <laughs> i was the only one there who wanted Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Explorers of uh, Time. So, what was the Explorers of Sky? That was kind of oh. like the Emeralds equivalent. Okay. It was. Um, they added a couple of extra things. Um, I didn't actually play this game, but uh, one, of, one of the things that was added was uh, Shaman and Arceus as Pokemon that, you know, were part of the story and could be uh, recruited. Um, they also added, it, it was some sort of cafe type of thing. I don't 100% know all of the details about it because I never got the game because I loved Explorers of Time so much that I never thought that I would need it. Um, years later, I probably should have, you know, just invested and played Explorers of Sky over and over again instead, but, uh, <laughs> you know, say la vie, I guess. <laughs> Sky is one of the more expensive Pokemon games. I'm looking at eBay right now, and with just the case, it's like 80 bucks. Oh, wow. The, just the cartridge alone is... I'm seeing a $40 eBay bid with four days to go. My goodness. Yeah, I'm hoping that um, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX does well enough that uh, we'll get to see remakes of um, the sequels then, because... I never played them back when they came out. I, I still have. I've, well, I've never played them. Period. I guess. And 
I mean, I've heard plenty of good things about. Oh God, what did you guys say? It was it was Sky is the one that's the Emerald version? Correct. Pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I remember you, Eel, talking about, or sorry, E A L, talking <laughs> about, um, talking about that game in particular on the Den a lot and recommending that one. And I'm hoping that we'll get to see that one remade within like the next two years or something. Because I mean, I'm I've been enjoying replaying Mystery Dungeon on my Switch, and you know, I'm. It's not really a genre that I normally go for for RPGs, but I would happily play the sequel if they remade it and brought it to, uh, you know, modern systems. I think that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I would totally buy a remake. I would die happy if... I would be able to die happy if they made Same. this remake. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm so happy that they remade um, this game, too, or um, uh, Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team, because, like, like I said, I enjoyed that one so much that when I saw they were remaking it, it's like, oh, that's really cool. So I hope that they keep this trend going and they'll, you know, they'll do the next one then. Well, hopefully they don't do this next one. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But the third one was called Gates to Infinity. Uh, This one came out in 2012 and this is 3DS, I believe, right? This is 3DS. This is 3DS. Um, I remember that this was one I bought um, as the first game I ever paid full price for on digital 3ds like one saturday morning i was bored like eight years ago and i was like oh look another pokemon mystery dungeon it's been a few years it was like four years after uh time and darkness and i was like wow um didn't have kids i used to wake up on saturday morning my wife would work saturdays and i'm like well i got nothing else to do all day let me buy this and so i've had this game for about seven eight years now um i put 12 hours total into it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just, I, I don't know, Blue, you're going to talk about the town building mechanics. I think I just got so caught up into there's so many little things I need to be doing, I'd get distracted, and then I wouldn't play it, or I'd boot it up, and I'm like, oh my god, where am I? I should I go to this, or should I work on this? Or And it always, like, freezes me up. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you know, that actually makes sense. Um, So I, I have about 40 hours on my save file on this, um, and I remember generally, you know, uh, expecting Explorers of Time 2.0 and being kind of disappointed that it wasn't that. Uh, but I do remember really liking the story a lot. Um, I think I sort of powered through that rather than, you know, going back and trying to grow my town and all of that. Because my looking at my save file, my town was kind of sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> I remember being very into the story, and I very clearly remember how much I cried when I beat it, because the ending was so sad. Uh, my mother was very worried about me because I was crying so hard. Um, and then after that point, you know, I was sort of expecting an Explorers of Time, you know, style post-game, and I never really got that. So I think I put the game down pretty soon after, because I saw that it wasn't going to do the same thing that Explorers of Time did. Um, I, looking back, maybe there would have been something if I would have, you know, you know some, sometimes they save a story flag for, you know, doing the three or so random missions after a big story event until the next thing starts up. So maybe that would have happened because I, I fairly evidenced by the fact that I am still like a level 43 Oshawa in that game, uh, I think there was still something preventing me from evolving my character, which means that maybe there was more story that I never got to, but I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the gameplay mechanics, 
was this one more you didn't just keep going down and then popping back out like i remember there was like specific exits to these dungeons i feel like you were moving through the world in this one more Uh, or am i completely not no i think i think what you're that there were a lot of places in the story for all three games where rather than going back to town at the end of the day you'd sort of you know be on the run or go on an expedition and you'd go through several dungeons at once Um, so you know you'd, you'd make it through one dungeon and it'd be like okay we did it let's you know make camp on the side of this mountain for the day mm-hmm. and conveniently there's a save stone and a storage unit here before we tackle the next uh, area of the trek tomorrow um, and I do think there was a lot of that in Gates to Infinity especially towards the end of the main story I do remember this. There was a lot of like depressing things in this throughout the story. And I think that one kind of like got to him like when this is not a happy go lucky Pokemon story at the beginning, there was a lot of the Pokemon fighting with each other and having to get over it. And yeah, because I spoil spoilers, maybe because it's been a long time since I played the game, but I'm fairly certain that there was some force in the world that decided that, you know, the the general public of Pokemon was not, you know, worthy to keep existing. And so they just sort of started to freeze the world over. And so Pokemon started going crazy. And I think that's kind of the main premise for, you know, why you need to go on your adventures and Mm -hmm. part of your partner Pokemon being like, we need to build this Pokemon paradise to be the happiest place ever is sort of the the contrast to that. Well, my experience with the first two games was that these weren't super, like, happy-go-lucky games to begin with. Like, I remember in the first game, you're, like, run out of town because they think you're dangerous. And you spend, like, a good chunk of the game, like, being chased into, like, the woods by, like, your neighbors. And see, I remember no story from the first two, so you might be very right. Like, this is a game that I've played little by little over the past, like, four or five years. The other ones, I'm at least 12 years removed on, so... All right. Well, so the the last one that they did on the 3DS, Super Mystery Dungeon. I always heard very good things about this one. Um, this is the only one that I never even touched, though. Is it better? That's interesting that you say that. So I remember having really, really high hopes going into it because, you know, they it's Generation 6. They're like, every single Pokemon is going to be available, which is one of the things that wasn't the case in Gates to Infinity. Um, and I guess they didn't learn their lesson when they made Sword and Shield last year. Um, <laughs> but there, there were a lot of weird things about it, too. I remember liking the story, but at the same time, you know, it, it wasn't explored of time. When I beat the main story, there wasn't anything else after that to keep me going around and collecting things. It was also weird because they changed a lot of the normal mechanics. Um, the recruitment in all of the games previous would be, you know, when you defeat a Pokemon in a dungeon, it has a certain chance to be like, hey, you seem pretty cool. I want to go with you. Um, but that wasn't the case in Super Mystery Dungeon. In Super Mystery Dungeon, you had what they called a connection orb. And as you, you know, sort of made friends with Pokemon and completed their requests, like, essentially by by completing quests on the connection orb, like you would do for the job posting board in the previous game, you would end up, uh, you know, essentially recruiting the Pokemon. And rather than taking four into a dungeon, or eight, as you can in uh, DX, 
you actually were stuck in three member teams, which was mm. weird to me. And I, you know, I pulled it up and it's like, hey, look at me, I'm level 32 because that's as far as I ever got. Uh, let's go into a dungeon and see what happens. And I actually died because it was only me, my partner, and then a Dragonite who was very overleveled. But there were only three of us and it was kind of sad. And I died and then I uh, turned the game off and put it down. Um, so that was interesting. Although, granted, the Mystery Dungeon games always have very strange difficulty curves and strange difficulty spikes all over the place. Um, so that's possible that, you know, I just ran into one of those without knowing. Um, the other interesting thing about Super Mystery Dungeon, though, is with the, the world that it's in, Previously, every every game had had a single hub town, and like this was the one area that you'd explore for the entire game. Everything else is you you go to a dungeon select screen and go out there. Um, Super Mystery Dungeon actually had five continents that you could travel to, and you know you could talk to all these Pokemon in all of these different towns. Um, so it it sort of made the world a lot more you know immersive to a degree. Um, but towards the end of the game, I had so many requests and so many uh, dungeons to go to that it essentially ended up being, you know, more screen transitions. Because rather than just going to the one dungeon select screen, I'd have to go ride the Lapper's Liner to this other continent, and then I'd have to run through that town to get to that con dungeon select screen. Um, but yeah, I liked the story, but the series sort of set itself up for failure by not following through on what they did with Explorers of Time and Darkness. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I, well, you guys were talking about this. I feel like the only thing I ever really heard about this is like, yay, they finally did one of these games right, which was weird to me because I'm like, they're all pretty similar. I mean, yeah, you've got stories and everything, but I mean, it's a mystery dungeon game. At the end of the day, you're moving block by block and whatever. But looking at Metacritic, like this one is scoring like 10 to 15 points higher than all the other DS ones, which... It's kind of weird. I'm like, okay. And then hearing what you're saying, Blue, um, doesn't seem like the most memorable. Hmm. See, I, I, okay, so I remember the story didn't make me cry as much as Gates to Infinity did, but I do remember enjoying it, uh, you know, as its own narrative. Mm -hmm. um, I guess sort of the, the big bad thing that was happening in the world is Pokemon were randomly being turned to, st turned to stone, and you had to sort of figure out, hey, what, what is the mystery? Why is this happening? Um, but, you know, after, after I finished this main story, I, I'm <laughs> talking about this, I'm totally getting vibes of what, uh, Drippy Slime Star went through with Nino Kuni 2, and where <laughs> <laughs> my expectations are so high from Explorers of Time that maybe I could have enjoyed these games more. And, you know, Super Mystery Dungeon is one that I think I might benefit from going back and playing again. You know, because there's totally time for that, and I totally don't have, like, 8,000 games <laughs> to go play. Exactly. All right, well, I think we have covered Mystery Dungeon to death. We have uh, plumbed the dungeons of all these. So, four games and a remake. So, yeah, they've done five Mystery Dungeon games. It's something that obviously must sell well enough to keep going back to. Anybody else have any more comments on Mystery Dungeon before we move on? What Pokemon is everybody? I forced it to be Torchic because Torchic's uh, Blaziken's my favorite. Well, I, Man, I don't mind. remember I which Psyduck. one I got. Like, and I've got I no memory. I back in the day <laughs> that I actually got Psyduck as my Pokemon. I'm like, what the hell? 
<laughs> but I feel like I have a connection to that Pokemon because with where I work, I get headaches all the time from some of the people I work with. <laughs> so I, I can understand. I have this connection. And funny enough, um, I think I posted about this on the Den, but last year for Christmas at my work, we did a gift exchange thing. And the, the kid that got my name... He ended up getting me these three little Pokemon, just like soft keychain things that I could put on my keys or whatever. And one of them was a Psyduck. I don't think that was just a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving to one I've not played. Um, I don't know if anybody's played this, but Evan. But Pokemon Pinball, Ruby and Sapphire. Yeah, it's a great game. It was, um, I don't remember how I got it i just remember playing it all the time when i was like a kid it was like a game boy advance game it was literally just a pinball game um it had some it had two boards though it had a ruby and a sapphire board and you would get different pokemon depending on which board you were on uh they both looked different like i remember the sapphire one was much longer like lengthwise the the ruby one was a lot smaller um and they were I remember playing them a ton as a kid, but I remember I gave it away to someone and I just completely disappeared from my memory until I was poking around on the Wii U virtual console and I saw it there and it was I was like, you know what, I'm feeling nostalgic for this game. I never finished this Pokedex, let's go for it. And I <laughs> at the same time I was doing like this binge rewatch of the League from FX mm-hmm. on Netflix. Oh, Oh, I love that series. <laughs> it had like seven seasons, and I think I watched the entire show in the length of time that I completed the Pokedex. Um, I think I might have missed one or two Pokemon and finished off this year or last year. Um, but it's surprisingly difficult to complete this Pokedex. Like, I remember Latios and Latios, each individually, you only have a 1% chance of bumping into them when you enter Ketchum mode. And... Oh my god, getting Rayquaza, that was a actual nightmare. Um, I think you had to catch upwards of at least 30 Pokemon in a single game or so. It was this weird thing where to fight the legendaries, you would have to do, you would catch three Pokemon, and then a bonus uh, stage would pop up, and you would do that. And I think you had to do two bonus stages before you could uh, fight one of the legendaries. And it was uh, Kyogre or Groudon. And then you'd do that again, and you'd fight Kyogre or Groudon. And I think you had to do that again, and then it'd be Rayquaza or Rayquaza. And you had to beat Rayquaza twice, and you had to beat Groudon twice, and you had to beat uh, Kyogre twice. And if you messed up, you had to do it all over again. The process of doing you know, Groudon or Kyogre or Rayquaza. And it was an actual nightmare. I think I only ever actually pulled it off once obviously that was the only time you ever need to do it just the once uh to complete the pokedex but it was it was kind of amazing i even was able to complete it considering all like the the weird stuff like there was a jirachi that would occasionally pop up but you you wouldn't necessarily be likely to see it i think i maybe saw him two or three times um but it's like a really good game when you're like you just want to sit down and watch something on the tv and you just mute the game and you're playing the game while watching whatever it is you're watching it was a it was a fun game to to re-experience i would definitely recommend it if everyone's got a uh, a game boy advance or a ds lying around i don't think it's a particularly expensive game to find on the secondary market and how many pokemon were in that one uh i want to say it was either 200 or 205 wow and some can only be found by hatching like the eggs which wasn't 
like super difficult. But then there was there was a weird system where you had to catch a Pokemon and then evolve it a, a specific way. So you couldn't say catch Torchic, lose, and then play again and evolve Torchic. You had to be from the time that you were playing the you were playing that specific round. So if you so if you yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't fun doing that I'm gonna be honest because <laughs> because because you would like a lot of them were pretty rare to find to begin with and then you had to evolve them twice sometimes depending on which one it was mm-hmm. and this is assuming you don't you don't fail on the board and you lose all your lives or whatever because that's pretty easy to do you it's it's kind of tricky because if you end up at the opposite end of the of the bumpers I think. Um, you have a Pichu and a Pikachu, um, and they can zap the, the Pokeball back into play, but that required getting like a special bonus. Normally you would have a Pikachu and you had to power him up before he could stop a Pokeball and shoot it back into play. Um, otherwise it was pretty much guaranteed to fall, uh, down into the pit. There was a weird way where you can, um, you can cause the board to shake. And if you were good with the bumpers, you can get the board to shake just right, and it would bounce back into play, and you can hit it with one of the bumpers, and you can get back into it. It was really tricky. I think I only ever did it two or three times. Hmm. Yeah, looking online, you can get it for right around 20 bucks. Yeah, and that's about a, a good price for it, I would say. I wouldn't go running out to get it for like 40 bucks, but mm-hmm. I'd say like 20, $20, probably 20 hours of your time. You know, dollar <laughs> an hour, basically. And it's one of those games where you, where literally you can play it and then put it down. You don't ever have to pick it up again. There's no story. Uh, you can decide <laughs> that you, you don't want to play it ever again. You never got to play it ever again. You don't feel like you've missed out on something. Pinball game not having a story. What? <laughs> it was pretty well, feature, to be quite honest. Besides having you know, not a story. Uh, there was a pinball RPG with a story. I played it uh, last summer called uh, Rollers of the Realm on Vita. I really like that little game. It's only about five or six hours long, but uh, talk about fun pinball. <laughs> so, all right, well, moving right along, um, another one Evan wants to talk about. I don't know who else has played this one, but uh, Pokemon Coliseum uh, X- and then the XT Gale of Darkness. I mean, I have the strategy book for um, <laughs> uh, uh, Coliseum, but it was one that I think I wanted to get at one point on my GameCube, but I just... It's just one of those things I never did. But, I mean, if I got the chance to play it now, I would. Not a very good time to get into it. Um, GameCube games seem to be taking off right now, and they're very expensive on eBay at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, so um, this was actually kind of an interesting game for me because um, uh, I was probably 10 or so, 10, 9, 10, and I saw, like, an ad like this was right before Thanksgiving, so we're getting all these, you know, you know, ad newspaper ads from Toys R Us and Walmart and stuff. And I saw that they had the Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness uh, GameCube uh, for only a hundred dollars. Uh, obviously, this was about the end of the GameCube's uh, lifespan, and I had uh, gone and done yard work pretty much every weekend, saving up money. So I can get it for myself. This was like the first console I bought for myself. Like I had a Game Boy Advance and a Game Boy Color, um, but those were just given to me as gifts. This was like the first time I went out and earned it for myself. And um, so I, I got to play Pokemon XD, and it was like a, it was a really good game. Um, uh, it was 
it was the sequel game, and they had introduced a new way to uh, uh, heal or cure. I can't remember the terminology they used. Oh, purify. Purify shadow Pokemon. That was this bizarre triangle circle thing that required, like, harmonizing other Pokemon with it, and it was just completely going over my head. So I had to go and do it the old-fashioned way. And if you don't, if you have never played the game, the way it worked was you would encounter a trainer, and they would have a, a corrupted Pokemon, a shadow Pokemon, um, and they'd be slightly stronger but have less attacks. I think it was like, shadow this thing or something like that. And... Uh, you it's like the one game where you are encouraged to catch a trainer's Pokemon you had to catch the trainer's shadow Pokemon and then you could uh, journey around and have it in your party and it has this meter and as you use it the meter goes down slightly and once the meters down to zero uh, you could purify the Pokemon but Gale of Darkness and like I said introduced this new way of doing it and you didn't need to do anything to the um, the meter you could just bring it right to this laboratory do some harmonization thing and it would it would instantly purify just like that and i was totally going over my head so i kind of fell out of the game when i was doing all these very hard shadow pokemon all at once trying to get them all purified and it took forever and because i was doing it the old-fashioned way of just taking it to this location and putting it in the spot and curing it of or purifying it after I had brought its meter down to zero. Um, I will say it's pro these are probably the edgier uh, Pokemon games. I still remember uh, Colosseum starting off with uh, your character attacking a enemy lab, uh, breaking out with uh, breaking out, blowing up the building, and. Uh, escaping on a motorcycle. He had left with like this arm, this this robotic arm that he clipped to his own arm, and it made he had a cool cyborg arm. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I was like, oh, yes, yeah, edgy, just like I like it when you're a little kid. It was great. Um, they were, for the games themselves, they were, you know, okay. They weren't like fantastic. The stories weren't amazing. Um, Gale of Darkness kind of uses mostly the same locations. Honestly, like there's a lot of similar spots that you can find in Coliseum. Um, I do remember the music being somewhat memorable, and the animations were pretty decent too. I think most Pokemon had like their own custom animations for attacks, and when they're defeated, stuff like that. They didn't yeah, use the I, full. What were you gonna say? Yeah, I was just gonna say like a lot of those animations and stuff. Like I remember when watching footage and like looking in the books and stuff um, from back in the day, like. A lot of the Pokemon animations, especially from the Gen 1 and 2, they reused the models and animations from Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2 on the Game Boy, or not the Game Boy, on the Nintendo 64. So they were able to, I'm glad they were able to transfer that over to uh, Coliseum and Gale of Darkness to, you know, keep the Pokemon feeling unique. Yeah, there was, I think they were working with a smaller Pokedex, though. Like, I think there were only 49 uh, Pokemon you had to purify in Colosseum, and I think there was about 60 in uh, Gale of Darkness. But I believe your you, your your actual, like, your, uh, your, your GBA could interact with it, and you could transfer your Pokemon over into uh, Gale of Darkness. At the very least, I don't know if you could with Pokemon Colosseum. So I think you could theoretically get every Pokemon that way. But you weren't, they only had, I remember there being 
just the shadow Pokemon. Um, I think Gale of Darkness had this weird feature where, like, you can, like, lure Pokemon in these special lure locations, and you can get non-shadow Pokemon. It was, like, a really weird system. It was, they were pretty useless Pokemon, too, so I wasn't, like, out to get, like, a Zubat or anything like that, or a, or a Fanfy or whatever they were. Um... I will say these were uh, this was the, a weird era for Pokemon because this is when like Gen three was just spamming out all these spinoffs. Most of the games we've talked about so far started with Gen three. Pokemon Ranger was a Gen three game technically. Um, uh, uh, Mystery Dungeon, Pokemon Pinball, yep. the ones. These two, um, there was a couple other we're not going to be talking about. I don't think. Um, so there was like a lot of games they were just pumping out at this time, and I believe the only way you could totally complete the national decks in those Gen three games was if you happened to have Pokemon Coliseum and Pokemon XD, and also a Game uh, Boy Advance player took to your GameCube. Um, you because, know, I, what was that? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you finish first. Yeah. Uh, I believe Coliseum had Ho-Oh, and obviously Gale of Darkness had uh, Lugia, um, Shadow Lugia. Um, and you had to play, and in the case of uh, Coliseum, you had to pretty much complete Coliseum. You had to do this whole defeat 100 trainers or something thing just to get uh, Ho-Oh at the end. And uh, Gale of Darkness, you had to... Uh, beat the final boss and capture his Lugia and purify it in order to get it and then transfer it over to other games. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Like, you had to, like, it was cool that you could get Ho-Oh and stuff like that, but I remember, like, from the guidebook, like, it said you had to go through this long gauntlet of fights in order to get it, which at least you you get, you know, a cool reward for beating it with, you know, because Ho-Oh, that's a pretty cool Pokemon to get as, a, as, like, a reward for all your hard work. But I remember... With at least again, this is just memory from the guidebook, not the game itself. But I remember that a lot of the Pokemon you ended up getting for like the the ones that are like the dark ones or they're corrupted or whatever. That there were a lot of Gen two Pokemon because it was like stuff like Miltank and Heracross yes. and yes. stuff like that. And like you got you could get the three dogs, um, you know, uh, Raiko, Suicune or Suicune and stuff like that. And I remember the guidebook pointing out that if you got any of the dog Pokemon, it was a good idea to take them to the spot where Jirachi could show up if you had a special item and use that item to purify the three uh, legendary dogs instead of worrying about the other Pokemon. Because it was like, well, you know, with a legendary Pokemon, they're going to be a little more naturally stronger than some of the other ones. So it's a good idea to use, you know, these one-time items on them so Jirachi can show up and you know, do, use its magic, and boom, there you go. Now you have a fully uh, recovered uh, uh, Entei or Suicune or something like that, you know? Yeah, and um, in those two games, the one that purified Pokemon was Celebi. You pretty much took it to Celebi's forest, and it would purify them once you brought its meter down to uh, zero. Um, but it did have... Coliseum did have one of the, the cooler uh, pre-order bonuses, which was a disc that pretty much let you spam jirachis onto all of your gba games oh that's like, the jirachi thing okay yeah. all right sorry i was thinking that jirachi was the one that you took it to and like you made the wish and that's why no, I did that. but celebi celebi makes yeah. more sense considering jirachi they would just you i believe you could like just keep keep getting jirachis like i remember i didn't have it myself my friend did and he had like a bunch of jirachis he got me a jirachi and it was kind of like the opposite of the manaphy thing we were talking about with um pokemon ranger i remember manaphy you could only get once 
like the egg once. Um, this one you could just keep getting dozens and dozens of Jirachi. So essentially, it's like Oprah just coming in giving Jirachis to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, nice. All right. So, you guys good with that? We can move yep. on to the next one. I will just say one more thing real quick. I do hope that, and it, it could be a total long shot, but I'd, it, I'd be cool if, or I think it'd be cool if they tried to bring back Coliseum and like Gale of Darkness to the Switch if they, you know, not that everything should get a remake <laughs> or something like that, but you know, so at least like a newer, or like if they did like an HD version of the two in like one package or something, you know, just so if people missed it back in the day, you know, they could have a chance to try because you know the gamecube wasn't it, i mean it did well enough for itself but it was also a system that not many people did really get into so you know, it'd, be, it'd be cool to see if, if, if they tried to bring it back again i'd, I'd pick it up you know, nintendo, seems, nintendo seems very protective of their gamecube games for some reason like everyone wants a melee re-release that hasn't happened yet we only just got you know sunshine super mario sunshine we haven't mm -hmm. gotten any of the any of the pokemon games we just mentioned um Where's Kirby Air Ride, guys? Come on. Oh, my God. I put so many hours into Kirby Air Ride. <laughs> yep. Yep, me too. Oh, boy. Well, talking about something that I put a lot of time into, uh, Pokemon Go. I still you know, put a lot of time into that. <laughs> what are we at? Are we three and a half years into this one? <laughs> Uh, I believe, what was that? Is it, Are we three and a half years into this now, Pokemon Go? Uh, 2016, like summer 2016, so yeah, about three yeah, and a half years. Yeah, it, it was summer of 2016 because it was the summer after I graduated high school. Oh, jeez. Uh, I remember because um, I have a Samsung phone, I was able to sideload this like two days before it came out in the United States. Um, there was the APK files going around, and I thought, my God, how boring is this? Because at the time, I was at my parents' place up in rural North Carolina, up in the mountains, not always good um, coverage or whatever. And I played it for like three or four days, and I'm like, man, I'm not really catching anything. I'd go up and down, walking the dog up and down the street, and like there'd be nothing there. Then again, this is like rural North Carolina. Now, going into town, and we'd go out to eat most nights, and I would just kind of walk up and down the strip malls where we were going and catch a bunch of stuff. And I remember, like, taking over, like, five or six or seven gyms just in this little town, probably because I was the only one playing it <laughs> at, at the time. And, yeah, I played it, and my, my wife ended up getting it, and we've got friends to this day that play it and go to all the community days. They're always out in the walking through parks doing this. Um and I stuck with it and played it every day from that summer. Eventually, like, really loved it. But for, from that summer through Memorial Day of 2017 and Memorial Day weekend of 2017, I had I was like locked into my house for like four straight days. I had two 2,500 um, word essays to write, and I just never left the house and never played. And by the next week, I was like, oh, I haven't played in like seven days, and it's refreshing not to feel like. Oh my gosh, I got to go right up the street to where I got to do something because I, I live way at the back of a um, 500 home community and there's no Pokey Stops or anything here. So if I wanted Pokeballs or whatever, it was always driving around to get to stuff. And it was like, that was my detox. And I've literally never played it since. But I had they a have added a lot of uh, quality of life improvements to it that uh, oh. might, might get you back in. Like the um, raid passes are now remote. So if a if a gym is a if you can see a gym with a raid 
somewhere on the screen. You don't need to be within walking distance of it. You can just uh, start the raid from wherever you are, as long as it's visible and on your screen. Wait it till the raid times. Um, I they also like I they also give out tons of free items. Like I just collected thirty Ultra Balls while we were talking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they um. Legendaries are pretty easy to get. Like I, they they have pretty cool events every so often. Um, uh, there's, they, I think they're going up to uh, Gen Six this week, I believe, or next week, actually. Wow, that's wild. It's been a couple months yeah. since the last time I played. So. Yeah, I was gonna say when I stopped, it was like right after Gen Two came in. You missed. You must have missed the um the events they do too, or the um research tasks where it's oh, like yeah, never had... do all mm-hmm. these things at the end of seven or so of these research tasks you'll get a Mew or a Jirachi uh, I finished the Victini one today actually um, Celebi um, they, they've started doing them for uh, community, day, community days um, they did a couple for um, like for Halloween, Halloween has a regular one that you get to do um they do, like, limited-time ones. That's Spear Tomb for Halloween, right? Yeah, uh, although this year they gave out Yan Mask, and you were also guaranteed a, a shiny Spirit Tomb, I believe, at one point. That is that is one of the things that's interesting about Pokemon Go, is that shinies are so common with everything oh, that yeah. they for events. Oh, yeah, they gave out tons of shinies, especially on community days. Hmm. I've only like, ever run into two shinies in all my experiences with Pokemon. And one was just a few days ago. Like, I think Electabuzz was last week, and I just got a shiny Electabuzz. This week's going to be Magmar, I believe. They're doing community days every week now? Um, I think they do two now. Um, It kind of varies. Like, I remember they did an a EV community weekend where it was all all Saturday and all Sunday. Hmm. Like, it's not just, just three-hour events on a specific day anymore. Um, wow. They were doing this weird thing for a while. I don't know if this is what they're still doing, but they were doing like two a week, but they were like incredibly boring Pokemon that you could vote on. Like I remember people voted for a Weedle. So there was a Weedle community day. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's favorite Pokemon, Weedle. <laughs> Yay. Which was annoying. That was annoying because one of them was Sandshrew and I needed Sh- Sandshrew to complete my Pokedex and um, Let's Go Eevee. And I want to vote for uh, Eevee was um, it's Sandshrew isn't available and let's go Eevee. So I was like trying to get I was trying to get Sandshrew to happen because I needed to transfer it over. Like no, it's it's the meme. Let's do Weedle, guys. It's funny. <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty funny. <laughs> there is a, there is a uh, there's a gym literally outside my uh, my apartment and uh, it's being guarded by a shiny Weedle right now. Oh jeez, <laughs> it's the king of all the Weedles. <laughs> So I I was playing this um, December of 2016. I got to go to London for a week for school. And I remember, I I mean, I didn't really know anybody except for kind of I'd been going to school online for four months with some of these people. So, I mean, a lot. And, geez, it gets dark there in December at like 4 p.m. So I just remember walking the streets of London playing this quite a bit in the freezing cold and... (laughs) Catching, like, Mr. Mime outside of the Eye of London. I could always, like, go in and say... And Jinx. Jinx were over... I Like, lots of Jinx there. Um, but I had I had a lot that I'd caught in my week in London that year. 
just a sidetrack real quick. Did you get a chance to ride the Eye of London while you were there? I didn't do it either time, no. Oh, that's too bad. That's It's a cool view if you go in that. Did so many other things, but yeah, like the first... The first time I stayed there, I must have. I was. I stayed a two-minute walk away from the eye. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that one of my administrators was supposed to do the program with me, and then she backed out. But she had booked like really expensive hotel rooms for us <laughs> when she thought she was going. She booked, and from my hotel window, it, I was in a circular hotel in a roundabout. Right across the water from the Big Ben Tower. I was going to say, you, were, you must have been pretty close to like Piccadilly Circus then if you were um, close to the Eye of London then. So I think Piccadilly mm-hmm. Circus isn't too far off from there. So I, I, I walked through everything. I mean, I just kept... That first time I was there, I was just there alone. So when I was there for a week and got there two days before classes started and got to stay a day after classes were done. So it, it was fun just uh, walking around. And yeah, pretty much everywhere I walked, I was like, ah, might as well play Pokemon Go while I walk. Because where am I ever in an urban area like this? Like I said, pretty much every time when I'm home, if I had if I was playing, I was driving, driving, parking. <laughs> and I remember one time I was parked outside uh Right up the road from us, about two miles away, there's this random tower in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it just, it was a uh, on a U.S. highway. It was one of those 1950s, hey, let's build it here because people will stop by on the highway and do whatever. And there's a junky little museum right next to it and a little strip mall. And there was six pokey stops all right there. Like, you could park in two locations and hit three Pokestops on one and three at the other, and the tower itself was a gym. So I was sitting outside the tower one night, I don't know, 9, 10 o'clock at night, because um, this is when my child was about six months old, too, playing this. I would drive around at night to get him to fall asleep, and sometimes I would just park and play for a little bit. And I remember a cop pulled up next to me. Oh, and, no. Like, You're going to be that guy? Like, he points to me to roll down the window, and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, am I not supposed to be parked here at 10 o'clock at night? And he starts talking to me about battling the gym. <laughs> I was hoping that was where the story was going. He knew exactly what I was doing. He exactly I was, I was where the doing. story would go. <laughs> yep. He's like, there are you battling the gym right now? I won't battle if you are. <laughs> Something semi-similar happened to me one time. There was, like... I was at a CVS, and it happened to also have a, a gym right next to it, and it was for a Pokemon I wanted, So I like, and it wasn't super strong, so I could have done it by myself. It was a, it was, it was a raid, so I pull over in the parking lot, and I'm like waiting for the raid to start, and then I see a guy like pop up my screen, there's like another person taking part in the raid. I'm like really like confused, and then like, I look out my window, and there's like a da- guy in the car right next to me, and he's like looking over at me, he's like smiling and waving, and I'm like pre- trying to pretend so hard, like I'm just on my phone, not playing Pokemon Go, and there's a guy right next to me, he's playing it next to me. I was like just pre- trying to pretend so hard that the social game is just me playing by myself. <laughs> Pokemon hey, Go, man. bringing strangers together since 2016. Yeah. Yep. Pokemon Go away. <laughs> Did it make you Pokemon Go to the polls? What? Did it make you Pokemon Go to the polls in 2016? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> All I can think of is just that stupid like, song on uh, YouTube with the little kids like, I play oh, Pokemon yeah. Go every day. <laughs> Well, what was great is, uh, so this came out in that in the summer, and I do clubs after school every, four days a week. I'm like the only person who even does more than 
I think more than two clubs even. I think one lady does two clubs. Everybody else like, eh, yeah. Most teachers don't, and the few teachers that do, they'll like find something to do once a day, once a week. Um, and me, I I bring in like forty, fifty thousand dollars just in club money for the school alone, and I get a crap amount of it. But I remember calling the lady in charge of the clubs at the beginning of August that year, and I was like, hey, um, you know, I got a new idea for a club. She's like, hit me up. Yeah, what do you what do you want to do? And I was like, how about Pokemon Go? And she's like, you know, she goes, I keep seeing that on the damn news and everything. She goes, you actually think kids would sign up for that? And what I did, and I ran it just one time. We did a 12-week course um, where, like, we stayed in the classroom for half an hour, and the kids could bring their DSs and 3DSs and whatever, and Pokemon cards, and we would just trade and play and whatever for half an hour, and then... And I had to work with IT to get our Wi-Fi to not block Pokemon Go. Because, <clears throat> I mean, the kids all just had iPads that could only work with Wi-Fi. They didn't all have, uh, you know, 4G-enabled devices. And uh, we would just walk around the school and, you know, walk walk outside on the sidewalks, just walk around the school and catch stuff. And we had a couple days where, like, we all caught um, Rhyhorn that was like well over a thousand CP at the time. And that was a big thing. Like only two months after it had released every, all the kids had that. And, and I had probably 25 kids sign up for it. And uh, a couple of years later, and then I only did it that one time. I was like, this is, this can only be this popular once. <laughs> so I, I didn't, you're right. Yeah. And I didn't do it another semester or whatever. And like a couple of years later, I'm getting my five year longevity award at school and my boss is up in front on the podium, 100 teachers there. And she, I, I kind of figured I was coming up next. And she's like, to the only person who could uh, convince 25 sets of parents to lay out $200 to play a freaking free mobile game. <laughs> <laughs> I, and she called me up. And I re- remember afterwards, I was talking to the after school lady. And she's like, that was like the best club. It was all profit. They didn't have to spend a penny on that club. Because usually I have them buying me hundreds of dollars of toys for this or robots for that. And she was just so excited. I made so much money that time just by, hey, come play Pokemon. (laughs) And I was in talks with a Nintendo sales rep to come to my club one day. And she just finally ghosted me and never showed up because that was also um, right around when Dragon Quest VII was coming out on the DS, 3DS. And I had gone in like August or early September to a GameStop to play the game. They had a rep there from Nintendo letting people play um, Dragon Quest VII like a month before it came out. And I ended up like I was the only one there playing Dragon Quest VII. (laughs) And... So I ended up talking to the lady for an hour and just kept playing and everything. And I was like, oh, I'm a teacher whatever. And she's like, you're a teacher. And I told her about like I was going to have this Pokemon Go club. And she's like, that's awesome. That's great. And she's like, you know what? She was the regional. She was the Nintendo rep for Tampa. And she's like, oh, like my boss is the regional person for Orlando. Like she would definitely come out and do a giveaway, bring plushies and all this stuff to your school. She's like, that's something we kind of do, you know, whatever. If we can get it in front of 25 kids and do something. That'd be awesome. And I must've traded like 15 emails with the lady. And one time something came up and she couldn't make it that week. And then I just never heard from her again, but Pokemon go good times. All right. (laughs) Oh, so yeah, there was, that was our, (laughs) as blue star just pointed out, that was our, you know, 20 minute segment on a game that we had zero notes on. (laughs) 
Um, and probably going into another one that I might be the one talking the most about. Uh, another spinoff type thing is that is really ridiculously popular right now, um, at least through YouTube streamers from what I see, and talk about <laughs> price increases. My goodness. You know, all... If, and of course, yeah, I mean, just because I clicked onto this a couple times, now it's all over my Google feed. I swear, every day I get a new story about a new YouTube streamer and a 20000 30000 40000 $300,000 box or set of cards or something. But uh, the Pokemon trading card game. Any of you guys ever play the uh, actual trading card game? I've never played the game, played but it. I definitely collect the cards because they're cool. Mm-hmm. I collected the cards as a kid. I never played the official game. But fun story, I did get in trouble one time for trading cards because our <laughs> parents found out. And they're like, you can't be trading your cards. We got them for you. They're your cards. You have to keep them. That's what the trading card part of the trading card game is. <laughs> I know. I know. It's not the Pokemon keep your card game. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You. If you figure out why that was the case for me as a kid, you let me know. <laughs> I used to collect the cards uh, when I was a kid, and I played them occasionally. Um, I totally fell off as I got older. I kind of hopped back on briefly when they were doing the, that Pokemon Evolution set a couple years ago, which was just reprints of the first couple sets. Like, the first mm -hmm. a couple specific cards from that set, and they add a couple other things. Like, I think they were doing Pokemon EX cards at the time and Pokemon Break cards at the time, and they threw a couple of those in there. Um, I thought that was kind of a cool, like, nostalgia piece to, uh, to, you know, and I bought a couple sets of, um, Sun and Moon, but I didn't really dive too deep into it. It was a very expensive hobby, um, oh, yeah. to just be collecting the cards, so I, so I kind of just fell off it again. Um, now I just kind of live vicariously through, um, watching unboxings on YouTube, pretty much <laughs> at this point. I'm, With... I'm very, I'm up to date on what's happening in terms of the sets just from watching people unbox them. Mm -hmm. That's how, I, that's how I, I heard about this Jake Paul situation. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, like, I, I almost never watch YouTube, so I read all these stories, but I almost never understand who the hell they're talking about. But Jake Paul, I remember, because there's a kid in fifth grade this year that all the way back in first grade, I used to have him in my math class, and he used to tell me, just call me Jake Paul. Yeah. <laughs> As a first grader, he was so enamored with this guy years ago. Like, who's Jake Paul? He's a dude on YouTube. I don't know what else about him, but <laughs> all I know is a kid used to love him and want to be him. What, him and what is... Logan Paul. They were like a set of brothers on like YouTube. They were like semi like well famous. Like I think one of them was like a Disney Channel actor or something. And then like one of them, I think it was, um, I think it was Jake Paul kind of took off with that uh, It's Everyday Bro song on YouTube that became kind of a meme for a little bit. And then uh, he just kind of picked up from there and he like, I think he does like a video every day or every other day. And he, it's, they, it's both him and his brother just do these like wild antics. Like I think they box some YouTubers couple couple years ago or something um there was that japan trip that logan paul did that ended up in the news like, like national news like my parents knew about this where he apparently gone went to japan um and part of his vlog was he was going to go to the suicide forest to, to see if they could find a dead body and they did and they filmed it and they posted it on youtube oh, oh i've heard about that one 
So didn't, didn't they get in like big trouble for doing that? I think that was just I think that was just Logan Paul. I think that was just Logan Paul's thing. Okay. Um, it's hard to keep track because they look the same and their names it's, they're they're kind of the same in age. So I can never really tell who did what, but I do know that Logan Paul was the one that did um, the Suicide Forest thing, and I think Jake Paul did the It's Everyday Bro song or whatever. And I think recently what happened was, for whatever reason, Jake Paul was just like really into getting Pokemon cards all of a sudden, and he was doing like these live streams unboxing these incredibly expensive uh, cards, and I think you could like um, people could buy into them where. I think what it was was like Jake Paul had set a price and someone could pay um, for that path to be opened on stream. He would like read a message out and he would send the cards to you, whatever cards you got from that path. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the box itself was like three hundred thousand dollars or something. I, that number sticks Holy in my head. Crap. It was ridiculous. Oh yeah, like, individual cards in those sets could be worth like thousands of dollars. Just like individual cards. Mm -hmm. um, it was like, a, and these are this was yeah, like I guess it was like the original unopened. It was box. a sealed box, unopened from like '98 or something like that. Oh wow. Yeah, and um, there was a. These um these like money guys, like these guys who were just into investing had seen Jake Paul's thing and they saw the market for car Pokemon cards was suddenly rising, so they decided to buy into it and they did something similar to Jake Paul where they recorded a um a live stream of them unboxing cards and they got it from the same guy, I believe. And it was this super sketchy live stream. Uh it looked like it was being filmed at like at a murder or something like the, the mafia <laughs> it was really fuzzy and in poor quality and everyone was social distancing so they're all sitting at this really long table at a, at a very wide distance from each other the cameras were super far away from them i don't think they could even they even showed you looking at the cards um and they it looked like they were like planning some murder basically <laughs> and, and the guy who they bought the card who was buying them or selling them the cards was super sketchy. The whole chat was like exploding, making fun of this guy. And when they opened the box, it was like some of there were a couple base set cards, but then there was like open packs with 2020 cards in there, like the year 2020, like new cards. And it was clearly like a repackaged thing that they were being scammed out of. And this was all live on stream on YouTube that you can watch. I, yep, I, I, that that definitely popped up for quite a few days in a row on my thing. That you know, the guy's like, "Oh, I sold. I didn't know it was a scam." Yeah. It was pretty funny. I would I would recommend uh, digging on YouTube to watch like some person or whatever run down or, or watch the live stream. It was pretty funny. <laughs> they got so, like I, like legit Pokemon like YouTubers, and they even asked them, "Hey, would you have bought this?" That you know, at first sight, you like, no. <laughs> it was it was It's pretty funny. Uh, well, I've got a long history with the trading card game. Um, back in the summer of 1999, uh, I was just about to be a senior in college, and my girlfriend had moved to town. So I was like, ah, you know, I don't really want to go back for the summer. I didn't want to anyway. I was sick and tired of moving back and forth, back and forth. And since my girlfriend was like five minutes away from college. Um, I was like, hey, can I just move in for the summer? It'd be great to just stay in the area and not have to move two hours back home. And I was like, our college got off like May 1st or something. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do for 
three months, you know, and I, I'd been working in elementary schools for the past three years. I knew I was an elementary ed major and I was like, eh, you know what? And somebody actually mentioned like, why don't you go to a nanny agency? So I kind of like on a whim was like, eh, whatever. So I drove to a nanny agency and they were like, wow, you're only like the second male ever to walk through our doors. And I got a job the next day. They hooked me up with a family that was like four minutes down the road for me. Um, one of them was a big executive at Disney. The other mom, the mom was a ER doctor or whatever. And they had two boys going into fifth grade and seventh grade. So uh, the kids were old enough to pretty much make their own breakfast and do most stuff. They just needed someone to like take them to camp or the parents were like gone by 645 in the morning. I just had to be there, make sure the kids ate and, you know, we'd go to camp or eight at nine and I'd go pick them up at three in the afternoon. Um, and there were plenty of weeks in the summer that I was there all day long. So they had just gotten into Pokemon cards summer of 99. They hadn't been out long and you couldn't find Pokemon cards anywhere. So I taught them how to use the phone book uh, <laughs> something you had to do in 99 use the phone book call up ask for the toy department at target or walmart or whatever and be like excuse me do you have pokemon cards in stock and the parents would like leave them 10 bucks a piece every day to go do something and they would like no we don't want to go mini golfing no we don't want to do this no we don't do it. we just want to buy pokemon cards so they got enough cards together and i learned how to play to teach them how to play and i talked i took them to tournaments we'd go to like borders or barnes and noble someone would have tournaments in the afternoon some days a week um and i remember a couple years later when the game boy color game came out i played that and really enjoyed it and you can listen to me talk about the second game boy color game that was fan translated um go back a couple episodes to our gba or gbc episode um but I think my kids got a card last year randomly from McDonald's. They got this Fennekin card, and they were both obsessed with this freaking Fennekin card, like, last October. Um, (laughs) Like, just one card was like this. They would fight over it, and it was, like, put in a certain spot, or they'd hide it from each other. And my kids, three and six last year, and it was like, oh, my God. Like, it's a freaking card one card <laughs> is a good pokemon don't <laughs> and then i brought i had actually had a bag of pokemon cards in my desk at work going back to 2016 when i had this club some kid in the club one day was just like hey mr mason i got tons and tons of cards just here and he gave me a bag and like I've since gone through it and we it's in all our decks now, but it must have had like 20 EXs in it and a bunch of other really good cards. But then again, I work at a really rich school and to those kids, it was probably like, eh, I don't play with these anyway. Just take it. Um, we don't play with those. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd had that thing sitting in my desk for like three years. So I brought one like just basic card home and like gave it so the kids could each have a card. And then uh, just to remind myself how to play, I downloaded the app um, uh, last right around last Thanksgiving and started playing. And because there, there's a free app and you can upload um, codes from packs of cards you get and actually have packs of cards that you open online and build your own decks online and whatever. But there is a whole set of like 20 trainers that you can beat at three different levels and it, it, there's no story or anything. It's just like there's an offline component that you could kind of do instead of just battling people online. Well, I went through and I beat them all at the normal level. And then my uh, older son saw me playing and he wanted to learn how to play since they had these two cards that they've been fighting over forever. And so f- last year, for, uh, for I 
he learned how to play from the app. It was great. I didn't have to really sit and teach him too much. I showed him some strategies and whatever. But for Christmas last year, I ended up buying um, six of those theme decks. It's a pack of 60 cards, comes with the energy, comes with everything like kind of really balanced well. And that's where we started. And right now we're up to 30 different theme decks that we have in our house. We've got hundreds of extra cards, too. Um, I will go on tcgplayer.com and buy individual cards often enough. Um, we don't buy the packs at all, really, um, and take the risk on that. I'm like, I'd rather buy it. For $5, I can buy like four EX or GX or V cards at this point, and I don't really care about the really rare ones. My kids don't have any sense of value for those. So whatever, they just like, oh, look, we got a Pikachu EX. Let's put it in one of our electric decks. So uh, I want to say from January through probably August, I had averaged two games a day with my kids playing the card game. And uh, I, my older son is pretty darn good at it. Pretty good strategy. Even my four-year-old, he knows all the rules and he can lay down cards and pretty much play on his own. We'll give him some pointers every now and then. I've already got seven more theme decks to give the kids for Christmas. Um, but yeah, we've really gotten into it quite a bit here in our household this year. And over the summer, even when I was fooling around looking at Dragon Quest games that I hadn't played, it really made me want to get into um, Dragon Quest Rivals, which uh, I, d I put 15 hours in, which I know is like one one hundredth of the time that uh, Denizen uh, J has done. Right, Angus, you're friends with him on the Switch. Yeah, he's got um, quite a few hours into that game. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I think it's in uh, four digits at this point. <laughs> yep last one i saw oh yeah no I, i've messaged, yes i've messaged him and he was the one who was telling me this summer he's like oh it'd be a great time to get into it because they're gonna have like off not offline but like one player content available i mean i put in like 15 hours which was kind of the limit of what i could do really not not being able to read anything <laughs> but it was really depressing to find out that tact was coming over and not dq rivals because rivals was a lot of fun. But there we go. There's my Pokemon trading card game rant. <laughs> I will say, Pokemon Company is very smart to put those uh, those codes in uh, mm -hmm. in all their products. Because that makes kids go and play, like the like you said, the, the, the app, too. All right. Going down our list, let's see what we got coming up next. We have uh, a game that uh, Wootus actually sent me. Because um, there was a demo for it on the Switch. And my kids enjoyed it for all of, you know, an hour. And then uh, Wuda sent him, me his copy and they enjoyed it for all of about eh, maybe five or ten hours before it became uh, too one-sided and way too much screaming and crying. And I just put it in an envelope and mailed it back. But uh, we're talking about Pokin Tournament. Well, to be fair, that is kind of the, how it can go with fighting games if it gets a little one-sided. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it... <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, like at least on Smash Brothers, you know, I they they too can fight against like six other people, like uh, computer generated ones. So it's not just one versus one the whole time. So there's less fighting in real life <laughs> when the kids and I play. Whereas uh, yeah, Pokemon Tournament, the one versus one, it, it they uh they it started way too many arguments, and they even decided kind of on their own that yeah we shouldn't play this anymore. <laughs> but. Who has put some more time into this? Well, I got quite a lot of time with it on the Wii U. Um, 
I'm into fighting games. It kind of started uh, like even when I was a little kid, like playing Smash Brothers. And the older I got, the more I started playing more traditional fighting games. And when I saw that Pokemon was coming out, I'm like, well, that's kind of an interesting concept for a Pokemon spinoff. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird, too, that it's called Pokemon Tournament, because it sounds like it's supposed to be like Tekken. Well, sure enough, the game was made with the help of uh, Namco Bandai, who are behind the Tekken series. So like, oh, okay, that makes sense then. And uh, the game is a one-on-one fighting game featuring a few different Pokemon from the I think of the Switch version, which added in all of the newer characters that were released in Japan arcades. It's up to like either 24 or 25 fighters or something like that. So it, it, it's a it's a decent list of char- of uh, monsters to choose from from the series, and you have most of the generations represented through the playable roster and through the assist Pokemon that you can uh, have team up with. Yeah. Uh, how it works with the game is like the, the story for it is in this particular region of the world that the Pokemon and their trainers sort of team up to do these special kind of one-on-one fights instead of like a normal Pokemon battle. It's more of a involved process or a bit more of a, uh, a unique take on the one-on-one battle. There's You don't really have to worry about like type advantages or disadvantages and stuff like that. It's just more so the Pokemon uses their moves but in more creative ways. So like... Um, and that, that then translates into their movesets. So, for instance, you have a character like, uh, oh, God, what's the third evolution of the Machop family? The one with the forearms? Machamp. Machamp. Thank you. Machamp, thank you. <laughs> I'm bad with the names. What can I say? But, but you have uh, Machamp, who he is pretty much your grappler, close-range type fighter. So he can, like, get really close, you know, do big, power, powerful throws. He does have a projectile where he picks a boulder out of the ground and throws it at the opponent. Uh, you have characters like Pikachu, who, you know, they're small, but is very fast and can get in your face pretty quick or can be pretty evasive. And then you have characters like Gardevoir, who, uh, using a lot of the, like, uh, psychic-type attacks, can act as more of a projectile keep-away sort of character where you can, you know, kind of create... Uh, no, it's a keep away slash zoning type character where you can try and get your opponent to fall into a particular spot. So you can either then try and close the gap real quick or you can just keep them at a safe distance while you slowly poke at them with different projectiles and stuff like that. And with the game, how it works is that you do get a level up to Pokemon. You can apply like stat bonuses when they reach a level up. So like you can increase their health a little bit or you can increase their strength a little bit. You get to choose actually what you increase. Unlike the normal Pokemon games where you just all this, you just like random stats will just go up. And what's fun about Pokemon Tournament, like I got, I actually played this game for quite a while on my Wii U. I also got a few different fights in with members from the uh, Den as well and some of my buddies who happened to get the game. So with the, the online did work pretty well for it. And what's nice is that even, like every Pokemon did feel very different from one another. Like even though there were two Pikachus, you had Pikachu and uh, Pikachu Libre. The two of them felt <laughs> completely different. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. You get the little Pikachu in the um, uh, wrestler outfit, which is pretty funny. But um, the nice thing is they didn't feel like they played the exact same. Like, even in that case, where it's the same Pokemon, they played entirely different from one another. And as someone who does play a lot of fighting games, uh, it's cool to see that they were able to translate that into this game. And it, you know, for it being kind of a, a weird concept for a Pokemon game and for a fighting game too, with how the fights work. It does work fairly well for itself. Uh, with how the fighting works, you either are in uh, the fully 3D, you can move everywhere sort of phase, or there's the 
uh, close up, like move left and right face. So it's kind of like you have elements of a 3D fighter like uh, Tekken or Soul Calibur that will then transition into more of a regular 2D fighting game style, like with Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat and stuff like that. And it'll go back and forth depending on like what particular moves that you use, or if you use like your big um, like super powered move with the pressure of the R button. Like for some of the Pokemon, like Gardevoir, when you use that, they'll Mega Evolve, and then they can use this big follow up attack. Uh, you have a character like, uh, I believe it's Suicune, where Suicune will get this rainbow aura around it, will move like incredibly fast, and can then close the gap really quickly too, or like it's, and like it's special beam, like ice beam attack, like the range increases. So you get some different elements in play too, that essentially like the power-up state is like your super meter almost for that character, if you ever played like another fighting game. Where like if you build up like a bar, you can use like two attack buttons and boom, there you go. You can use like the super fireball or something like that. But um, this game's kind of different too because they did implement a bit of a story mode to it for the single player content. Because what it is is like you know it's like a regular Pokemon game where it's a human with a Pokemon where it's like oh I want to be you know the best uh, fighter in this league. So you just slowly work your way up the ranks and eventually there's this uh, shadow Pokemon that keeps attacking. And you find out that it's actually a Mewtwo that was, I believe what happened was there's this orange crystal that can corrupt a Pokemon. And basically what happened is uh, this Mewtwo in particular uh, was stabbed with one of these crystals like in its shoulder, I believe. And it's essentially turned it into what they call Shadow Mewtwo, where it's got like a completely black body. It's got the crystal sticking out of its shoulder, and its powers are, I believe it's a bit more of a corrupted version of Mew to of regular Mewtwo, because you do eventually get regular Mewtwo as well. And like the Pikachu, Pikachu Libre thing, they do play completely different from each other. They utilize powers differently, and you realize that like not only is this crystal affecting it, but if it gets out of hand, it could start affecting some of the other Pokemon in the region, and it, you know, you, you pretty much then becomes a plot to, uh, you know, not only trying to get to the top of the league, but you also need to try and stop this from happening to anybody else, because it could just totally mess with the flow of this entire uh, region of the world. But uh, have, even you, have any of you guys played it as well? Did you play it too, Evan? Yeah, I played it. Honestly, not super intense. I don't even think I finished the story mode. Um, all it sticks out to me is how uh, embarrassingly awful the voice of the announcer or whatever was. <laughs> I was surprised that Pat it made its way to a Pokemon game. I thought they would have, I don't know, done a better job with the voice acting. It wasn't good. It wasn't good, guys. <laughs> no. It's the only thing I remember no. about it. No, it, it was... This was one of those times where... Like when the voice actors are kicking in, like it's no exaggeration to say that it's like early PS1 voice acting, where people might be talking like this when they are when they are speaking to you, like just all over the place. It's terrible. Yeah, it's one of those few games where I changed it to the Japanese voice setting as soon as I could, and honestly, that was so much better. And she so speaks constantly too; like she just keeps going and going. It's not like pauses in between. She goes, "Oh my good, oh oh," ooh, and she just keeps talking. Like, oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> Which is um crazy because I remember on um Battle Revolution, I think it was the um it was the Wii the Wii Pokemon game they did. Uh, just a brief tangent. Um, they had the voice actor for Brock and the announcer from the anime, and he did all this like unique voice. You know, lines was like, "Oh, you know, Zapdos." 
hits him with a uh, you know set, you know you know paralyze or whatever. I don't know. Uh, he, he, all this like unique and pretty good voice acting, and then here comes you know poking you know poking tournament whatever, and it's like oh wow oh. Look at that! I can't. It's it was embarrassing. I can't believe it. Yeah, it, it's it's it was like first take almost. Like they should they should have done something else. It's terrible. Did you see that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, oh, you boy. talking about that? That reminds me of um. I don't remember if we were. I don't think we put this one on the list at all. But like back on the N sixty four, there was Pokemon Puzzle League, and they they got like all the anime voice actors for that one. They got everybody for that one. I remember that as a kid. So it's funny that they were able to do that with an N sixty four game, but then with the Wii U, and I don't even think they changed it for the Switch release either. That they had this voice actor who talked like this. It's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the voice acting aside, like the game does play pretty well. But, you know, if you're not used to fighting games, you know, I could definitely see it being something where it's a little harder to get into because it mean like I'm, I'm with your boys talk with you talking about your boys plenty. Mm-hmm. Like I could see why that could be frustrating for him as well, especially if one of them's getting it more over the other, because I mean, it, it's it's hard. Fighting games can be difficult and it is good to play them with other people, I think, in order mm-hmm. to sort of. You know, see where you got to improve at and what you know, like your strengths, weaknesses are and learning from your opponent. But at the same time, with Pokemon Tournament being such a like, vastly different playing fighting game compared to other fighters that were coming around around that time, Pokemon's definitely a bit of an oddball to get into, especially if you're not used to fighting games. Like even like even though I know how to play a lot of different other ones. It still did take me a while to fully understand like how the you know the switching mechanic works between like the fully 3D arenas and the you know standard like move left and right movement uh, like the, the the 2D phase almost you would call mm-hmm. it. But um, I do I do oh, remember sorry, there was this <laughs> no ways I do remember there was this weird situation where if I remember correctly with the Wii U version if you were like playing with friends like in person um, one of you had to be using the Wii U game bad. Um, what, what everyone else could be using like a, I don't know, a GameCube controller or something or a, um, or a pro controller or whatever. Um, so, but that puts you, my understanding of ga- um, fighting games is that, you know, your controller is very important. Like people, you know, they have their own fight sticks and they, ha- you know, or maybe they do use a controller, like a standard controller. So, Forcing someone to use like the game, the gamepad, which let's be real, isn't you know something I don't think a lot of pro fighting game players will be using, uh, was, was kind of a weird thing uh, at the time. Yeah, it um, the, using the fighting pa- or the gamepad. I mean, it does work all right, but I think I'll, like when I did see like tor- I did watch a few tournaments for the game back when it was new and when it had been out for like a year or two. You did see that a number of players would like have configuration set up so they could use fight sticks for the Wii U version. I think I think luckily now with the Switch version of the game, it's a lot easier to get a fight stick for it because a lot of them now with the fight stick plugins, it's just the standard like USB sort of port plugin. So you can just you know plug that right into the side of the Switch charge station and boom, you're good to go. But um, I mean, the Wii U pad worked fine for it. I thought when I played it. It was, I, but I think only reason that it worked that I thought it was fine was because I had played a lot of Tekken Tag Tournament Two on the Wii U with my buddies, and luckily, like the setup, like the default setup was similar to what you would have to do for uh, Tekken Tag Two, uh, like you know your left button 
or your one button would be like for left punch. You have that correspondent to the uh, Pokemon tournament, you know, right. So that one, I, I think at least had, I was able to get into that a little bit more, but I totally agree with you though, that it's one of those games that I think a fight stick is going to make it so much easier versus the big, awkward Holden Wii U game pad. <laughs> yeah. The Wii U didn't have very many games in general, but it also didn't have very many fighting games. I think it's literally just Pokemon tournament and tech and tag tournament. <laughs> Yep. That I can think of. Yep. All right. Well, looks like the end of that tournament is come. And uh, Blue Star, you are on because you wanted to talk about Pokemon Conquest. I do want to talk about Pokemon Conquest. This is actually, I, I know I said earlier that Explore the Time is like, one of my favorite games ever as far as like a side game because uh, to me explores of time is you know a mainline uh pokemon conquest is actually one of my favorite games uh i have 80 hours into my file and i still have not beaten all of the scenarios um this was actually my first tactical rpg um so a lot of people will say it plays like fire emblem I actually only started playing Fire Emblem earlier this year, so to me, Fire Emblem plays like Pokemon Conquest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I I guess, essentially, the premise behind the story is that there is a continent that is suspiciously shaped like the Pokemon that is said to have created the world of Pokemon, and it's divided up into 17 kingdoms, one for each type, pre-fairy type, because this is a Gen 5 game. Um, and the, the sort of legend that is passed down through this continent is that if a warlord can unite all 17 kingdoms, the legendary Pokemon will appear. Um, so essentially, the game is you recruiting warriors and befriending Pokemon to try to build up your army so that you can take over other kingdoms as you, you know, sort of grow and get better um, and, you know, essentially take over the continent. Uh, it's, it's, there are a lot of really cool mechanics because each warrior has a specific Pokemon that is their, you know, best friend Pokemon that they can achieve a 100% link with, uh, and that essentially means they can get to level 100, basically. Pokemon get stronger based on how, you know, in tune they are with their warrior. Um, so it's just, it's just a really cool concept, and the gameplay is a lot of fun. It does get tedious because you end up with a lot of warriors and a lot of kingdoms um and you know there's a lot of things to do but there there's enough uh auto functions in the game that you know you can manage it um so even you know with evolving the warriors themselves can also evolve and it's cool to see at least i think so that when they when your warriors evolve i say that with air quotes they their their appearance actually changes to sort of match their Pokemon that is their, you know, their true 100% Link Pokemon. So there's a girl who ends up dressing up like Frostlass, and you can definitely tell with, you know, her uh, pose and the art style that, yeah, this is supposed to be Frostlass, which I just think is cool and charming. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of gameplay and a lot of uh, strategy there. Each Pokemon has, you know, a move that they use as their attack. So, like, Luxray uses Thunder, and it hits three tiles in front. Um, Incineroar, er, sorry, I'm, I'm going to use a different example because I've totally forgotten the name of that Pokemon. Uh, but, look, Frostlass uses Icy Wind, which hits 
three uh, three tiles in a horizontal line in front of it, and so each different Pokemon, you know, has different AOE attacks or single target attacks that you know you can sort of use depending on the battlefield to essentially tactical RPG your way to victory. Hmm. See, this one was never on my radar. I know one of the guys I podcast with has told his story multiple times about the lengths he went to get this game, the, like the week it released, because it was just not a big release, and every GameStop had like one or two copies total, but apparently a lot of people kind of wanted this. See, now that I've actually picked it up again for this, uh, just to refresh myself for this, I'm actually thinking about going back and trying to beat more of the scenarios. There are so many, though, uh, so who knows if I'll ever get there, but, you know, there's, there's definitely enough there, and you know, especially since I put it down for, you know, a good couple of years now, just sort of relearning mm-hmm. the mechanics might might be kind of fun. Again, that's assuming that I have time to actually do fun things, because, you know, what is that? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I remember from the advertising for this game that and it's probably just because it happens to be involved one of my favorite Pokemon that there was a warlord guy who looked like he was dressed up in samurai armor. Like, he's got the full mask and everything. And his partner Pokemon was supposed to be Groudon, which is one of the legendaries from Gen 3. Yes, that is correct. That is one of him. Uh, there's there's another guy with, you know, sort of similar samurai armor who uh, ends up paired up with Aggron, which is also very, very cool. And there's, there's someone whose perfect Pokemon is uh, Zoroark, there's there's a lot of edge in that guy. Uh, there's there's one girl who is supposed to be with Miss Magius. One guy with Articuno, which Articuno is basically my favorite Pokemon, so I like that a lot. Uh, but yeah, your your hero in that game starts out with an Eevee, um, which is cool because it gives you a lot of versatility with how you know you evolve that eventually and at the same time even though you know maybe maybe you don't have a 100 percent link with the pokemon you can still get up to like 90 or something so i think one of my main uh pokemon that i used was actually a Leebani or the the bug and grass type uh type combination overpoweredness because that's a word (laughs) (laughs) it conveys a certain meaning (laughs) of overpoweredness Hey, I mean, it's it's past my bedtime at this point. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, then we'll get close to wrapping this up. Um, Evan, you never played uh, Conquest, did you? No, this one totally went by me. This was around when I was dropping off Pokemon, and it did. I didn't even hear about this game until I saw it like, sitting on shelves, or I saw like, a review on IGN or something. I totally mm-hmm. missed this one. And nothing about its, its gameplay or aesthetic spoke to me, so I just completely let it pass me by. I recommend, but, uh, you know, that's just me. I'm biased. <laughs> Can it really be a tactical game, though, if you don't get to marry uh, your characters and make them have kids? Well, you, marry, you, know. you can marry your characters to their Pokemon. Okay, uh, maybe, maybe not <laughs> oh my quite <God>. like that. But <laughs> An emotional uh, connection. <laughs> oh my god. But, well, you know, as we learned from that one, from a, a recent user on the den, that apparently people only played Fire Emblem in the first place for the waifu stuff, even back in the early days of the series. It was never about the <laughs> gameplay. 
Hey, you know, it, it got a resurgence just uh, just around the time the waifus came in. Some coincidence, I don't know. <laughs> I think the only game like before that that or before Awakening that had the marriage stuff was uh, I think it was four on the Super Nintendo. What I don't remember what that first one was. Because Tharsia seventy or like Tharsia seven seven six was the second one, but on the on the Super Nintendo, but the fourth one I think had the child marriage and or no had the marriage and the child system I believe child marriage. <laughs> well, I mean they might be able to marry the kids eventually. I don't know. Fucking knows. <laughs> it's past all our bedtimes. So uh, all right, well talking about waifu that's the uh, perfect excuse for me to go into our last game here um because my real life waifu <laughs> um pokemon snap i actually uh kidded with my wife the other day i was like hey you know if you want to be on the podcast for a couple minutes uh it, this is actually a game that you played you could talk about something she's like i don't want to do that whatever she was i'll probably be asleep by the time you talk about that and but uh she, she, <laughs> she did uh, tell me, she's like, okay, well, here, here's what you can say on the podcast about it. Um, growing up, she's got an older brother and a younger brother, and her older brother is big into video games. Younger brother, somewhat. Um, they're actually all in town this week because her younger brother's getting married tomorrow. Um, and the older brother has got a daughter a little bit older than my kids who always they love playing video games with her and she turns them on to all the different games that they want to get. They see each other maybe every four to six months and she's always got a new Mario or a new Pokemon or a new something that they're like, oh, can we get it next? Can we get it next? And we usually do. <laughs> but uh, my wife was very excited this summer to hear that another Pokemon Snap game was going to come out, which after hearing that it's going to come out we've received no information on in like five months now but uh she said growing up you know her brothers were always playing video games and she always hated any game in which the characters died or got knocked out if you're talking pokemon um so she would never really play video games until one of them got pokemon snap and she said you know that and animal crossings became her jam when she was young because characters didn't die you just kept going about your day um, in Animal Crossing and, and just kept taking pictures and Pokemon snapped. <laughs> so. I do remember you pushing a Charmeleon into a lava pit <laughs> so that evolved into a Charizard. So I don't know about that. That that helps. That is does that does help. <laughs> yep. That that does help it evolve so you can get a better picture. <laughs> so but really you're the photographer, you know, you're not dying. <laughs> Maybe you kill something else. <laughs> you're not dying. Um, we well, so, I mean, kind of torture some Pokemon with the pester balls. Yeah. It's like poison, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I actually remember playing this all of, you know, a couple minutes to an hour a few times uh, back in, like, the summer of 99. I think it was out back then um, when I was babysitting, nannying those two boys. They had it, but even for them, they were like, yeah, this game's kind of lame. <laughs> Let's go buy some more cards. But, I mean, I, I don't remember much more about it other than the game was on rails and you pointed your camera and took pictures of Pokemon. It actually had a good amount of the Gen 1 Pokemon because this came out when Gen 1 was pretty much at what well, was the only generation at the time. But mm -hmm. um, it had, I oh, God, it's been a while. But I think it's got 75 or 76 of the Pokemon from Gen 1. So 
I mean, you got a, you got almost you got a good chunk of them there. That's and um, like one of the last ones you can go after is Mew after you do certain events. But um, I remember when I was a kid, this was I think maybe this might have been the first Pokemon game I had, if I remember right, because I really didn't play many games on my Game Boy Color, which I've talked about like whenever I was first on the podcast, like a year ago or so, but, um, or on Slime Time Prime, excuse me, but I remember when having this game as a kid that I, not a lot of the other kids in my neighborhood at the time had this game, so I was kind of one of the cool kids because I had a Pokemon game on the N64, so everybody wanted to come over and check it out. Well, then, you know, you show them it's about taking pictures and stuff, and some of them would be like, oh, it's a really cool idea, and other ones would just be like, well, that's not fighting, that's not cool, I won't do that, but... I remember replaying this game a lot when I was younger and trying to figure out like different ways to get pictures of certain Pokemon because even though there is only um, like 75, 76, whatever the number is for the Pokemon in this game, there are a lot of ways that you can affect the Pokemon and take pictures of them to like either receive different points or get them into different poses or to have them interact with different objects in the environments. So even though there is... Surfing Pikachu. Yep, there's the Surfing Pikachu, there's the... (laughs) Uh, Pikachu's that you can get to uh, get to stand on uh, different stumps, and they'll use electric shock. Oh uh, yeah, like Pikachu, Pikachu and balloons too. Oh yep, yep. There's that one. <laughs> then there's the Pikachu being carried by a Zubat, and then there's a funny one with Dittos that are in the shape of Bulbasaur's. So if you take a picture, like Oak is like, oh, that's a Bulbasaur. But if you have it next to a, a, a Ditto, he's like, wait a second, they have the same face. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that Wonderful. that might be also one of the best things about this particular game too is the voice acting for Professor Oak. So <laughs> for us like ragging on the voice acting for Pokemon Tournament for being bad, this game is the kind of bad where it's really good and really funny because you get lines from Oak like you were close. Like his voice almost sounds like it's. It, I don't know if it actually is the guy who voiced Oak or not, but it's like they cranked his voice up a few notches, so he sounds like you were close. Welcome back. <laughs> he's, he's he's got some pretty funny lines in the game with when uh, when you hear him uh, with the with the few times that he does speak. It's always great when he says "great" too. He's like "great, great, great." <laughs> but um. I remember, too, with this game, and I didn't even remember this until I saw um, a playthrough of it over on YouTube, just to have something on in the background. Oak is a very particular person when it comes to photos of the Pokemon themselves. So, case in point, with the playthrough I was watching, they had gotten this picture in the volcano area where uh, Magmar was attacking a, a Charmander for like trying to eat the apple that they threw at the Magmar. So you get this effect where Magmar like shooting off like fire blast or whatever the attack is, and it's caused like this huge explosion of fire. And all you really see of Magmar in the explosion is just like its silhouette, and it's like this really cool flame effect and stuff. And it looks like it would make a pretty cool picture, right? Well, if they show it to Oak and pick that for the Magmar picture, because when you show Oak the pictures, you only get to pick one picture per Pokemon. They show him the picture, and they're like, "Oh, he's going to give us really good points for that because of the pose and everything." Oak looks at the picture, and all his response is, oh, that Pokemon's not centered. You don't get enough points for it. (laughs) Like, he is super particular. And I remember that being the case, because there were times where, like, in one of the last levels, there's a valley where you go through, and you can get a Magikarp to jump into the waterfall, and it then bursts out of the waterfall as Gyarados. It's supposed to be like that old story of, like, you know, how a salmon swims upstream Mm. and, and, like, other, other myths like that. And just because I didn't have the Gyarados 
like centered in just the middle of the pitcher. It was making a pose that he liked because it was like roaring or, you know, like shooting out of the waterfall. He liked that pose, but because it wasn't centered, he's like, nope, sorry, this isn't a good picture. You didn't get it right in the middle of the camera, and it's slightly off. <laughs> he's too particular. He's too particular. <laughs> oh, boy. But um, uh, did you guys have much experience with it, too, then, uh, Elor? Did you not play this one very much when you were younger? Oh, I actually, um, I first heard about this game when a, uh, I had a friend, he had a N64, he had all the good N64 games, like he had, and I played, I, I saw them all at this kid's house, um, but a couple of years ago, like five, six years ago, um, I bought it for the virtual console on the Wii, it's actually also on the Wii U virtual console, guys, just, uh, just saying that, um, and I played, <laughs> I, uh, Isn't played everything. <laughs> Gotta put something on there, I guess. Um, I actually played a lot of it. I almost completed it, actually, in Pokedex-wise. I, I was only missing, like, four Pokemon. Um, I wouldn't say I was close to completing it, though, because um, completion also matters in terms of uh, how how many points you score in a board, in the um, on a map or whatever. So I, I wasn't doing any of that. I was more focused on completing the Pokedex. Um, I was I was missing some weird ones like muck or something, but I got all the like strange ones like I mentioned that Charizard um, on Surfing Pikachu. Uh, I played a lot of it. I I actually picked it up earlier this year, planning to see if I could complete it. But I was like, it's been too long. I've I've completely forgotten how to play this game. What what's important? It, it, I was too out of it to go back to it. So I'm maybe next year. I was planning on getting the uh, the Switch game if that ever happens uh, uh, sometime in 2021. I was planning on picking that up and then going back to um, the N64 snap sometime in 2021. Hopefully, but... Yeah, this is definitely a game, too, where as you replay the levels, it's nice to replay them, too, because as you make progress in the game and unlock new courses and, you know, you get enough points from pitchers and stuff, you do get some upgrades. Like, one of them is you get the apples that you can throw, and in some yeah. cases, when you throw the apples, like, the Pokemon will get really happy, so you'll get better pitchers, better pitcher poses from uh, you know, that particular Pokemon, whatever the case might be, uh, you get stuff like the Poke Flute, where if you play it, you can then cause some Pokemon to react to it. Like one of the ones that you can actually see in the very first level, but you can't do anything with is Snorlax because, you know, it's Snorlax. He's sleeping all the time unless he's hungry. So with the Poke Flute, you can actually wake up the Snorlax and it'll start dancing around in this little part of the stage that it shows up in. And that's your chance to take a picture. And then Oak all of a sudden realizes, oh, that's a Snorlax. I couldn't tell by its giant feet and face until it was standing up and dancing. <laughs> I do remember they had like, um, I can't remember they were called like hidden signs or something. They were yep. like all those like natural formations of like the rocks yep. or whatever that forms a Pokemon. So like yep. if, Crabby might not be in the game, but there's a Crabby rock formation or something like that. Yep. So what it was was that every single stage uh, had a different hidden Pokemon sign in it. And like the first stage you were talking about, there's a giant uh, rock formation in the shape of, I believe it's Kingler, because one of them has a giant, one of the claws like a giant one. Uh, in the volcano area, there is a sign of, it's either coughing or wheezing, because one of the little volcano spouts, if you throw a pester ball into it, will start shooting out clouds in the shape of coughing or wheezing. It's it's one of the two. And like then you have one in the cave area, or no, not the cave, um, a really easy one to find 
is in the very beginning of the last stage prior to the uh, secret unlockable one, uh, the valley, where right when you're going down the first uh, waterfall, you actually get to see a giant mountain in the formation of uh, Doug Trio. And if you get yeah. pictures of all seven of those or eight, however many there were, because there was one per stage, you then got to go to a special bonus stage called the Rainbow Cloud, which is where Mew shows up at. And you actually do get to see Mew in the opening cutscene of the game where um, I forget what the character's name is supposed to be, but the, the kid who's taking the pictures. I know he's Maybe been they call in the him Pod an- Snap or something. Yeah, because he was in the anime at one point. But um, anyway, he is uh, just walking through one of the areas of the game and he's trying to snap pictures of this elusive Pokemon. And you see its foot and its tail and a little bit of his details. Well, then when you get to the end of the game, you're like, oh, wait, he was trying to take a picture of uh, Mew the whole time. So it, it's kind of a nice little reward then if you were able to find all the signs, whether, you know, you found them by yourself or, you know, you got, you know, a buddy would have told you how to find them. It was a cool little reward to get that then because Oak would, you know, look at all these different pictures of Mew and be like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is the rare Pokemon Mew. I've only heard about this one, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think after you that You could also point, trigger the uh, legendary birds too, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. So three of the stages had the eggs for the birds. So um, the cave area had the, the egg of Zapdos, which would then like cause all of the electrical uh, machines in that particular area to all be lit up instead of having to do all the other requirements for them. Uh, you had Moltres in the volcano and oh, what was that? Was Articuno then is in the underground um Oh god, I remember what that other one is. It's an it's another underground sort of cave like area where you fly through it, and you actually have to have um, the Jinx wake up and uh, perform their little song and dance in order to break the egg open for that one. But it's cool that you get to find a few different legendaries and a few a few of the elusive Pokemon too. Because I think if I remember right, uh, Dratini and Dragonite show up in the Valley stage too. And I know I don't they're not technically legendaries, but at that point they were kind of rare Pokemon since not many people saw them. So it was sort of a pseudo legendary at that point, I guess. You know, nowadays, I don't know what they're common in the games or not, but there there were a few things that you could find as like four legendary Pokemon or some of the harder to find ones like Lapras too. That's another one that can show up and it shows up really far away at first on the on the beginning beach stage. But if you keep taking pictures or throw apples into the ocean, eventually it gets really close and you can get a nice picture of it and everything. So there is a lot of fun benefits to replaying stages and sort of figuring out how the mechanics work and all the items work because you can get some really cool pictures with them, too. So I'm, I'm really Really hoping that this new Pokemon Snap game that's going to be coming out either next year, you know, 2022, you know, just depending on how the COVID uh, situation right now is going to affect development. I hope that it'll be a nice follow up and that they will take a lot of the elements from the original that works so well, but really, you know, kind of push it, uh, you know, push it in the right direction. So the Switch game can really take advantage of the system and, you know, bring in a lot of new concepts for how you can take pictures of the pokemon and whatnot so i'm really hoping that that game turns out well because like your wife platy when i saw it i'm like oh that's really cool because even though i'm not super big into pokemon now i would definitely get that game just from remembering how much fun that i had playing the nintendo 64 game uh, by myself and with some of my buddies when growing up yeah i was surprised um i didn't realize how much love there was for uh pokemon snap until I saw that live stream where they were announcing Pokemon Snap on YouTube. It, it was, uh, and like any, anytime I mentioned it to people, like, 
just random people I know, like, oh, I played Pokemon Snap. That was such a great game. Like, all these people who didn't even play games were like, oh, I love Pokemon Snap. Talking without the mic unmuted. <laughs> what I was saying is, uh, <clears throat> in an era when you can uh, sell like $20 million Animal Crossing games and just have that really non-gamer casual person picking these games up, might as well uh, bring back some other uh, favorite casual ones. There's no be- game that landed at a more perfect time than Animal Crossing. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Boy, it's going to be really funny with that long pause if the edited version of this doesn't have that pause and so it's going to jump to platy's <laughs> nope it won't have the pause because i'll Ex- hit that delete silence thing <laughs> well just to, just so the audience knows then there was about like 20 seconds of silence before platy <laughs> unmuted himself there so that's why we were laughing <laughs> <laughs> oh so we've covered geez a, a ton of games tonight is there anything else anybody wants to get in before we wrap this up um, I guess I will just say briefly that another good N64 game from the Pokemon stuff that I believe has not been re-released digitally is um, Pokemon Puzzle League, which I talked about a little bit before. It was basically, oh God, what what are those games that it's like? There's a, a puzzle series from Nintendo where it's like the different puzzle blocks you move, like there's red, blue, um, yellow, different colored ones like that. You got to go like five in a row in order to break them. And for one of the Western releases, because they didn't want to use the, um, pro- it's, it's called Panel to Pond over in Japan, I believe, because they didn't want to use that property, they used Pokemon instead. And they used the Pokemon anime because that was, you know, really big at the time, back in the N64 era. And they used that property on top of the uh, Panel to Pond gameplay. And I remember renting that a few times when I was a little kid because there was a video store that my parents would take me to every weekend and I would get up, you know, rent a game for the weekend. I'd pick that one out a few times. I wasn't very good at playing it because I didn't really understand the concept of, you know, how I was supposed to win. I just kind of jumped in and just tried to see how I did. But, um, you know, I remember it being, you know, a decent game and, you know, it had the voice actors from the anime. It had different designs from the anime, too. Like, I think one of the costumes the Team Rocket can actually wear is the outfit they had in the first Pokemon movie where they look like Vikings. Do you, if you guys have ever seen that movie. Must be from Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, I did grow up in Minnesota at the time when I played it, so I mean... <laughs> Yeah, that, that was the joke in the movie. They were just oh, that's Vikings. right. It was yeah. That's Maybe right. they're from Minnesota. When they... I was I was gonna be like, damn, that's a good guess. How do you know? <laughs> like, damn. Literally, but, um, I forgot about that. It's been years since I've seen that movie. But um, but yeah, there. I mean, I remember it was a, a good little game. I don't know if you any of you guys have played that one or not, but it was it was it was a fun little puzzle game. I wasn't very good at it, but. I remember it being an all right time with it. It was on the Wii Virtual Console. I don't know about the Wii U, but it was definitely on the Wii Virtual Console. I've seen it a couple times. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Well, I'd say I go check it out now, but you can't do that anymore <laughs> with the Wii. So <laughs> you could definitely tell from the screenshots I saw. They definitely uh, copy pasted Pokemon, uh, you know, JPEGs onto uh, that game. <laughs> uh, 
Alrighty. Well, now I think we are all done. That's it for this episode of Slime Time Side Quest. Uh, definitely want to thank Evan and Blue Star for joining us to talk about some of the uh, best Pokemon spinoff games out there. No problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot for joining us, guys. Now, you know, we didn't really talk about this before, but we never really discussed like which side quests or like or which side games are like what side dish, like which one's going to be the potatoes and the gravy, which one's the <laughs> green beans, <laughs> which one's the corn. <laughs> Mystery Dungeon is mashed potatoes. Uh, that's not up for debate, but everything else. You guys crazy. <laughs> I'm just going to call Pokemon or a Pokemon tournament the sweet potatoes then because you either like them or you don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> there's no in between nope <laughs> but um again thank you for joining us guys and i'm glad we were able to get a lot of discussion out of these games definitely had some fun uh conversations with all of them for sure <laughs> mm-hmm. all right you might have noticed that the only time on slime time we ever mention patreon is when we say we don't use patreon we're just all longtime fans of video games that want to speak about the topics and know and love so much if you do have any money that's uh, burning a hole in your pocket and you'd like to donate, consider sliding on over to the Dragon's Den at www.wudus.com den and click on support this site. Wudus has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den site for over 20 years, and I'm sure he'd appreciate any donation um, if you don't want to directly just hand over the money. Um, want to buy something and get some proceeds to him, you can use his Amazon affiliate links to make purchases, especially if you're ordering uh, maybe the new Dragon Quest XI-S games or the 3DS games. Um, Evan was on when we talked about the Dragon Quest Monsters Plus books. Um, pretty, pretty much anything Dragon Quest related that is on Amazon, Wudis has an affiliate link there, and he'll get a little proceeds of that sale. Uh, if you have any suggestions for a future SideQuest episode, uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. You can reach out to Platy via his Twitter, platym 3 or you can find him on the Discord for the Dragon's Den. Uh, you can also contact me at Yangus the Legendary Bandit on the Dragon's Den via personal message or on the Dragon's Den Discord. Uh, we do have a list of ideas, and we'd be happy to hear from you to either add some new ideas to the list or to revisit a topic if we get enough interest for it. We actually did just get a nice post from somebody on the Dragon's Den, and apologies that I, I don't have your name written down to you know mention it, but they did suggest a few different things like Shin Megami Tensei, uh, you know, gave us some feedback on some of the episodes that we talked about with some of our discussions. So, you know, it's nice to hear from people and to let, it, let us know what either they want to hear about or just that they enjoyed some of what we've talked about. And if you got any ideas, we'd be happy to hear from you. Bye, everyone. Yangus, Yang, <clears throat> I mean, um, uh, side quest complete. Mm -hmm.